All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Dalton Gray. I'm Mariah Humphreys. And today we get to sit down with our good buddy Tyrell Palmer. How you doing, man? Good. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. We appreciate you coming on the show. We're uh, we're going to talk about your background, hunting history, and you uh, your successful sheep hunt this year. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, no, it was uh, quite a quite a process to get there. So we took a couple years. The, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk all about that. Um, and uh, yeah, appreciate you cutting time out of your uh, out of your weekend to come sit down with us. So absolutely, um, guys. Before we get too far into that, uh, if you like the show and you like what we're doing, remember to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, make sure you are leaving us. Uh, rating and if you would be so kind a written review all of that goes a long ways in getting this show in front of more people uh, if you want to support what we're doing and help us create more content uh, we've got the shop on our website the northernhunter.com uh, we've got merch there hats hoodies t-shirts all that uh, we've got a partners page where a bunch of great companies have partnered with us to give you guys discounts uh, most of them have discounts for you and all of those links and codes can be found either on the partners page of the website or in the show notes of this show here uh, on pretty much whatever platform you're listening to it on. And if yeah. you have a question for us that you'd like us to cover in a future episode, uh, hit the contact button on the website or you can hit us up on uh, our social medias. If you go to either of the meta platforms, uh, Facebook or Instagram, you can reach out. If you search at the Northern Hunter, you'll find us there. And uh, we appreciate everybody that writes in, everybody that contributes and supports what we're doing. It's a, it's a big thing. So we appreciate all of you guys. Yep. So, um, so Tyrell, uh, why don't we kick this thing off? Just give people a little idea of, uh, who you are, where you're from, kind of how you got into hunting and all that. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern central Oregon down by, uh, the kind of the Oregon, Nevada, Nevada, California T, uh, out in the good part of Oregon, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where I grew up, the cows outnumbered the people about 500 to one, I grew nice. up in a real small area, <laughs> um, that's a good down ratio. in, uh, Lake County. And, uh, so that's where I started, uh, growing up, my dad hunted, um, quite a bit, but it was kind of interesting. I grew up, um, uh, he hunted and grew up reading about Kit Carson, Jim Bridger and all that stuff. So I always wanted to hunt. My dream was always uh, when I was younger to own a 
small horse ranch or something out there and then mm-hmm. grew up, got into sports, kind of got out of hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 14, I drew, did my first hunt with my dad, did hunter's ed and everything. We went out, got a, he got a nice buck that, um, due to strange circumstances disappeared we shot it, went up, he tagged it. Our Bronco was just up over the hill, uh, went up over the hill, like 300 yards away, came back, deer's gone. No mm. sign. There were two pools of blood, like the size of a dinner plate. Like we went up, poked it in the eyeball. It was dead. Yeah. Um, it disappeared. Dad got mad. We didn't hunt anymore <laughs> that year. <laughs> um, was that a mule deer? It was mule deer. Yeah. Okay. It was you a know, nice four by four. And, um, and unfortunately, that's wide. not the first time I've heard of that. On, on public land and yeah. in the lower 48. Well, and we it's, found w- there were some guys we ran into and one of them was a tracker and uh, he was he used to be a guide and a licensed tracker in Oregon. And so he helped us doing larger and larger circles. And he was like, I can see where you killed it. Like mm-hmm. clearly you were standing over there. You shot it over here. He's like, from the signs, either a cougar stole your kill, oh, which okay. is possible yeah. or what's more likely because of the lack of drag marks there's not a lot of drag is that two guys saw you walk away from it and they were like well, we'll take it and so they right. came over here and grabbed it right. so dad got mad and then that year we were working um in a mother-in-law apartment above a garage and he stepped off a ladder into a hole that was covered up by a carpet and shredded his knee and couldn't hike oh, for three years oh man boy. so um had to do surgery and all that stuff to recover so Whew. We also had a strained relationship at the time, so I got really into football and everything, mm-hmm. so got mm. kind of out of hunting, but always kind of had an interest in it, and then uh, got married at 19. Uh, we slowly moved our way north in 2009. My wife is from Juneau, and okay. in 2009, 2010, when kind of the lower 48 was going through a... I don't know, economic crash or whatever. Mm-hmm. My hours just kept getting cut and cut and cut and cut. What were you doing for work at the time? At the time, I was working at Wholesale Sports, which was a uh, group that uh, Al- the Alberta Farmers Group had bought some sportsmen's warehouses mm. in Alaska, oh, okay. Washington, Oregon. And uh, literally, sportsman's warehouse just pulled out. It looked, I'd never been in a sportsman's before until after I worked in Wholesale Sports. Right. And I walked into a sportsman's and was like, this looks identical to where you were. <laughs> and uh, just the badges were different. They had like just wholesale sports and then a different logo. And other than that, it was a sportsman's. Same color scheme. Yeah, same everything. everything. <laughs> like, we wore black shirts instead of green. That was it. Everything else was sportsman's. So I worked there and I was going to flight school at the time. I've got 140 hours in a helicopter. Um, so oh, nice. that was my uh, path. Um at the time, I was trying to go be a pilot, and uh, but kids. We at that time we had uh, two kids pregnant with our third. Flight school is pretty expensive. At mm-hmm. what age now? I was. Let's see. I got married at nineteen, twenty-two. Wow, two kids at twenty-two. You guys had the ground run away. Yeah, mm. didn't waste any time there. No, <laughs> no, we did not. Wow, <laughs> we've been married seventeen years, and uh, well, sixteen and a half years. Uh, our anniversary is in July, so been married sixteen and a half years, and yeah, we've got five kids: uh, thirteen, nope, four, th- fourteen, thirteen, twelve, ten, and eight. And so, hey. yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, we moved to so well. So what happened was. Uh, we were we went and visited family in Juneau uh, for the holidays that year, and while we were up here, everybody uh, was just like, "Hey, you know, if things are terrible, you can always find a job in Alaska. There's always work right. in Alaska mm-hmm. to do. So if you if things get terrible, so not to go into too much detail, but 
went home. Hours got cut again. Things got terrible. Things were pretty pretty <laughs> ridiculous. So uh, I applied for four jobs, kind of prayed about it and said, God, if you want us to move to Alaska, you need this to work out. And I was offered, actually, I think I applied to six jobs and uh-huh. I was offered four jobs that were all full-time making more money in 12 hours. Mm. Wow. So we were kind of <laughs> like, okay, well, this is probably a direction we're going. So how do we make this work? And so we made the decision within six weeks, we were driving to Alaska. Um, no kidding. <laughs> so we uh, moved from Lacey area and uh, our plan was to drive to Skagway mm-hmm. and go up over and then take the ferry from Skagway down to Juneau. Uh, luckily, we had some friends who we were staying with who told us that we should uh, not do that. And we ended up catching a ferry to um, uh, out of Prince Rupert, which mm. was good because at the time Canada was having a huge increase in oil, uh, cost. And so we wouldn't oh, have had enough yeah. money in the bank to drive to Skagway. <laughs> no so, <kidding. laughs> uh, everything worked out and then, uh, moved up here and, uh, kind of getting back into the hunting thing. I was just like, I live in Alaska. This is like the best place in North America to be a hunter. If mm. I ever wanted to be a hunter, I kind of got to make it happen. Right. So I started looking into getting a rifle, deer hunting. Um, at that time I didn't really have any interest in bear hunting. I just wanted to start trying to deer hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we lived in a small apartment, um, with my wife's grandma. And, uh, then we kind of moved into a trailer and, a, um, into a condo. So we slowly kind of built up and I started spending more time trying to do the outdoors thing. And, and this was all in Juneau yep. at, at the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we lived, uh, in Juneau and then we moved on to Douglas Island. And mm-hmm. so then I spent more time hunting on Douglas, which is the better hunting area anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, for anybody in the lower 48 or who isn't familiar with Juneau, Juneau is basically landlocked because yeah. you're surrounded by like 3000 or 4,000 square miles of ice on two sides and then you got ocean on the other side. Mm-hmm. So the only way in is by boat or plane. Mm-hmm. And so for most of the people who are really successful deer hunters there, you got to have a boat. And I didn't have a boat. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I actually picked up a boat the year before we moved and I wish I would have brought it up here. It was a London. It would have done fine on the rivers up here. Oh, but yeah. I sold it cause we were moving into the interior where I didn't <laughs> think I was going to need a boat. <laughs> so, um, but big game hunting was tough and I spent a lot of time, um, just trying to get into figuring out hunting. Cause growing up my dad's version of the way he kind of taught us to hunt or me to hunt, I should say, I'm the only son in my family. He uh, would take us out and we'd go into the high meadows at like 8,000 feet or not 8,000, sorry, 5,800 feet. Is that the elevation there? So probably, oh, actually probably close to 8,000, seven to 8,000 feet up in the mountains. Cause wow. Lakeview where we grew up is like, I think it's 5,000 feet. Mm. Um, and then we'd hike wow. hunt in the mountains above. And, um, so we'd go up to the mountain meadows up top, the sagebrush flats and look for the arroyos with the aspens and birch trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. we'd walk and he'd say, all right, here's your air horn. You walk that direction and I'll see you at that rock in like three hours. Okay. <laughs> Don't get eaten by a cougar. <laughs> okay. And, uh, nice. so then we'd, we'd split, he'd hike one side of the Valley. I think he'd normally let me get ahead and net looking back. I'm like, he was trying to get me to basically drive those deer out in the open <laughs> so he could shoot them. But, um, um, he'd get them occasionally. We, he shot deer almost every year, every other year we'd get one deer. And, uh, so I'd help him kind of clean it and stuff, but didn't really do a lot of hands-on. So a lot of what I was doing was just trying to figure it out. And so I was trying to talk to people, which is what I've always done. Um, I always kind of talk to people and try to say how you do stuff. And then eventually mm-hmm. I just 
have to dive in and do it myself because I'm a mm-hmm. kinetic learner. I got to do stuff by yeah. hand. So, um, moved to Juno at that point, started deer hunting. Deer hunting was awful. Um, <laughs> never, never got a deer in Juno. I spent hours and hours soaking wet in the rain. I have uh, a buddy in Washington and it was actually really funny. We started hunting together because one time uh, we just kind of got to know each other and I told him I was going out hunting and he was like, uh, oh, I'll, I'll come out with you. And then uh, I called him that morning that, that was like on a midweek. So a Saturday morning, I called him at middle you know three o'clock in the morning or whatever and i'm like hey i'm getting ready to head out and he's like well it's pouring down rain you know right and i was like yeah and he was like it's gonna be foggy up there and i'm like yeah but we still gotta be up there if we're gonna find anything and he was like i'm really sorry everybody else i've gone to hunt with if it rains they uh, have canceled so i'm not even out of bed yet i'll see you in an hour (laughs) (laughs) so i was like all right well i'm headed up there and so just went up there and sat in the rain and that's what hunting in juno was like was a lot of just time sitting in the rain looking for deer yeah that's the rainforest country of alaska it's it was rough temperate rainforest yeah, a lot yeah. of rain. <laughs> so never successfully got a deer, though, um, in Juneau. I no bears getting, either? I, I didn't get into bear hunting until actually I moved up here. And I've just recently in the last couple of years kind of really come around to wanting to get a black bear and a grizzly. Um, didn't really uh, look into bear hunting at all while I was in Juneau. So gotcha. if if I can interject here, your your progression is great but you need to change your terminology and your thought process because okay. you just said a black bear and a grizzly bear. That, that's, that's <laughs> you got to make that plural, man. <laughs> that's true. I'm, that's true. <laughs> We're not about just shooting one bear around it's here. True. I, mean, yeah. I don't want to shoot one of anything. Man. No, <laughs> crank those numbers up. <laughs> yeah. the, the, those are rookie numbers. Well, you got to start with one, though. you got to find some success. I know. Then you I'm can just account. giving you a hard time. Yeah, there you go. Uh, oh, yeah. But so what I did really get into was waterfowl hunting, and mm. uh, I was talking to James and Mariah, before the show um i love it when you guys go off on waterfowl hunting um because i will nerd out on waterfowl like nobody's business it's ridiculous i love Mm. it i don't think there's anything you can do more fun with a gun than hunt waterfowl so so i got really into waterfowl (laughs) hunting um pretty obsessed um there were multiple times where i'd be the only guy in the wetlands because the weather was awful but i'd hunt the mendenhall wetlands down there in juno you had to get a special permit through fishing game and stuff but Mm. it was a blast and i loved it i spent all we would hunt we would go out and decoy. Once I figured out decoying and calling, we would go out and decoy and call before work until we got to the point where we'd go out throughout the decoys and we'd be like, all right, we don't have enough time. Like set seven, <laughs> seven, eight decoys. That's it. And then have 20 minutes to hunt and then have to ha- pack everything in and then run back to the truck and make it to work to <laughs> change at work. And then we're like, all right, it's not worth setting out decoys anymore. We'll just jump shoot. And yeah. then we just walk out and try to jump shoot until it just wasn't worth it. And then we'd hunt weekends. Yeah. Um, this is actually the first year I have not, um, hunted on Thanksgiving and in Juno, I always goose hunted, tried to get goose, which I never was successful with goose. You guys were talking about the yeah, goose down in yeah. the Southeast being tough. I think we're going to yeah. change that fortune yeah. this year. Uh, I, I hope you guys do. I hope you guys do. I shot a goose with a bow last year no here kidding. in town. Nice. Uh, <laughs> no, no goose kidding. with my bow at 50 yards. And, uh, nice. That thing was fantastic. On it the wing? It tasted amazing. No, on the ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were uh, in a field by my, where my work is and I was like, 
I had talked to my boss previously and was like, Hey, if I, if these geese are out here, what do you think? And he was like, as long as you don't like make a mess and make a big deal out of it. I don't care. <laughs> there you go. So, there you go. <laughs> don't bring it in the lunchroom to, <laughs> right. to clean it. Right. <laughs> right. So, but man, goose is fantastic. And, uh, a lot of the ducks, um, they all do have a different taste and stuff. Man, mm-hmm. some of those ducks taste so good. But. Yeah, that's what one thing we noticed was, you know, I think we talked in the last episode we yeah. had done. Yeah. We tried like seven different kinds down there or something like that. And yeah. every single one had a different flavor to it. Yeah. It, it was really interesting. And like you guys were talking about too, there's a lot of difference in what they're eating. Um, mm-hmm. The teal and stuff. uh there's puddle ducks and diver ducks. The diver ducks tend to taste worse because they're eating fish mm-hmm. and right. bugs and stuff where like mallards and teal and widgeon, the puddle ducks, they're eating more grains. Even in an area like Juno, they're eating grass seed and stuff yeah. Yeah. more than they're eating fish. Okay. Mm. Um, and so that's where you get some of the changes. And that's like why uh, the canvas backs back in market hunting, one of the reasons they were so popular was because they eat water parsley. And that water par- that's really all they eat is a water plant. And they don't eat any kind of... Uh, like fish or anything like that. And they're on a big duck. And that's why they were supposed to be so good and why everybody really loved them. So gotcha. Okay. So yeah. What what did you, what kind of ducks did you guys hunt primarily down there? So September is teal. Um, the, uh, in September, the teal come in first, uh, Juno starts, they change every year. So it's either September 1st or September 16th. And then they go to either December 16th or December 31st and it flops every year. Oh, okay. Um, do they sometimes have a two week break in December? Nope. Not that they I'm did, aware of. They did that this year. Did they? Yeah. Interesting. December oh, wow. 1st to 15th is no waterfowl. In all of Southeast? Units one through four. Really? Wow. That is new. Hmm. So I've so I've been gone. Let's see. I we moved up here. So we moved to Juno in twenty ten and then we moved to Fairbanks in twenty sixteen. Oh, okay. Um so I haven't been back down to do any hunting. I'm actually trying to talk my sheep hunting partner that we'll talk about later, but I'm trying to talk him into doing some hunting down yeah. there. So I really want to get down there. Yeah. Nice. Kind of jealous of your guys' uh upcoming blacktail deer trip. <laughs> it's an <laughs> annual thing, man. I need to I, figure I, out how to get invited on that so <laughs> that uh I can come shoot a couple deer because I don't know how to do it apparently, because I've only shot one so but um no that's that's gonna be an awesome trip and the waterfowl and stuff i really so my wife does not like bird mounts but i have told her like put my foot down that eventually there will be two or three harlequin <laughs> yeah. in the house because <laughs> harlequin go. are just freaking such yeah. cool couple looking of, bird couple of penguins you ever shoot any of those uh, surf scoters I have not shot. I didn't do much sea duck hunting. Okay. We mostly okay. hunted puddle ducks. So September was teal, and then you'd see mid to late September, the widgeon and mallards would start coming in. And so we'd see widgeons, and then you'd see a lot of the other variety. We'd see sea ducks coming in, so we'd see the um, buffleheads, and we'd see some of the golden eyes, and some mm. of that stuff start filtering into the wetlands. Yeah. But early season was always teal, which is the um, – they taste the best, but they're so small you don't get a lot out of them. Gotcha. Um, widgeon and teal are the funnest to shoot because they – fly super acrobatic i've seen uh, a ball of 15 20 teal flying at 10 feet above the water at mock five just <laughs> zipping along they are fun and then widgeon i've seen them they'll flip upside down they'll do barrel rolls in the air uh-huh. and so when they decoy they're just so much fun to decoy decoying birds is by far my favorite i love mm. getting the birds to come exactly where you want them and then um landing right there and watching them cup in and mm-hmm. come in is just a blast. So yeah. 
Did you do any uh, any kind of waterfowl down at Lower 48 before you got here, or was that no? The, and that's no. actually so frustrating because the area I grew up in is fantastic waterfowl <laughs> hunting. Like, just mm. my dad hated shotguns, so he always said shotguns were stupid. So I never even <laughs> shot a shotgun until we were actually in Juno. And my deer hunting buddy one time, I was like, "We got to find something else to do because deer hunting sucks." And he was like, uh, "Well, we could always waterfowl hunt." And I was like, "What do you need for that?" And he's like, "You need a shotgun." And I was like, "Shotguns are stupid." And he's like, "Have you even ever shot?" a shotgun it was like <laughs> fair point no i have not and uh i bought a shotgun and man it was lights out i was so then let's running let's dive off this longboard here yeah um, <laughs> yeah what is your favorite combination of uh of shot size mm. um do you use steel or bismuth or tungsten so or? i use i bought so i started with a remington 870 <clears throat> uh just standard 26 inch barrel pump um, and then I moved into a semi-auto, uh, so I could shoot three and three and a half inch magnums. Um, and I shoot steel. I've just only ever shot steel, mm -hmm. um, for late season. If you're hunting, once the smaller birds are gone, I'll try to shoot like number twos and number ones for mallard. Um, number ones are BB for geese. Uh, like I said, never was successful goose hunting in Juneau, but that's what we always attempted. Mm -hmm. Um, but for late season with the bigger birds, we'd shoot number ones, um, and number twos. Early season, I'd shoot uh, number threes, and I only shoot three inch. Um, but so I progressed from that 870 pump to a Remington. Gosh, I don't even think they make that shotgun anymore, but it was a Versa Max or something like that. Hmm. And I did not like that gun. Switched that into a Mossberg, and then I sold the 870 and the Mossberg, and I got a Browning Maxis. Mm, okay. And that yeah. is a fantastic shotgun. I love that thing. It 26 or 28-inch bird? 26. I wish I would have got the 28, yeah. um, but it is the 26-inch. Mm. Um, I'd gotcha. like to get one of their new A5s. Mm -hmm. um, that oh, have, yeah. Now they're not even new. They've been out for a while now, but yeah, in yeah. my head, they're still new. Those um, seem like really nice <laughs> I setups. I would love to get a It's new always new A5. until you own one, right? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and it's like, in my head, I haven't even been looking at shotguns in a long time because I bought that Maxis, gosh, eight years ago. And so in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, it just came out. Oh wait, no, I haven't shopped for shotguns in eight years. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done that a couple of times and yeah. thought back to, well, yeah, th this product is pretty new. I've got one of those. It's still a new product. And then I look back at my photos and I had it four years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's already a gen two out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The gun I'm taking down this year for birds is a 28 inch barrel 870. It was nice. my grandfather's shotgun. Oh, wow. Mm. And he, he did very limited waterfowl hunting after they moved up here. He had a friend, um, a, a good family friend of ours. And uh, my grandpa and my dad would go out with this family friend and their son, who was my dad's age. And they're still friends to this day. And they grew up playing hockey together. Um, but my grandpa was not into waterfowl hunting. He hated just sitting there. <laughs> he never was a fan of tree stand hunting, even whitetails. He'd just sit behind a stump and just shoot him with his bow. He, he hated tree stands. And my dad picked up after that. He he's not a he doesn't just like just sitting in a tree. Even if he goes to one of my bear baits, he'll just pile brush together and just sit on the ground. So I, I've erred from that direction. Obviously, I, I <laughs> prefer tree stands when I've got grizzly bears poking around. <laughs> <laughs> it's also better for wind too. But yeah, um, but yeah. So I, I'm I'm using his shotgun. Uh, my, my, my grandpa passed away uh, quite a number of years ago now. Um, but my dad has. He hasn't even shot that shotgun in a long, long time. Probably two and three quarter inch only, or does it it's shoot three threes? inch? Does it? Yeah. Wow, that's yeah, it's, awesome. it's three inch. It's a twenty eight inch barrel, full choke. Nice. And so I, I picked up some Migra steel shot, and it's a stacked steel, staggered load. 
and it's BB and two shot. Okay. So that'd nice. be great for goose if you guys get into them. Yeah. 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 They're always down there. It's just a matter of getting, getting to get close them. enough. Yeah. Right. Well, right. And, that, and that was the cool thing after that episode. We got a, a <clears throat> slew of people writing into the show talking. Yeah. You know, Did you? Like, yeah. oh, yeah. Well, if you guys, share you guys some get secrets. <laughs> <laughs> See how they work first. And right. Then, there, then you go. Share there you the go. Secrets. No, only, not, with, not on the podcast. Just send <laughs> yeah. it to me. Yeah. Just, like, yeah. Don't share with everybody. My only concern <laughs> is that my. I, I, I obviously don't have enough, have as many um, shots in a given load yeah. of BB and two shots. So I, I don't have as good of a of a spread, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Mm. Um, so for some of the wing shooting for for the sea ducks, it might be a little bit more challenging. But is that a fixed full or is it? A, uh, can you change it out? I believe it's a fixed full. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I still haven't even anyway. taken it apart to put it in the case yet. So. I'm got very, be shot. very new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very new to the shotgun thing. I, I figured out, I took my, so I got a new dog. Um, my first hunting dog, uh, we got a, she's a purebred poodle pointer, uh, mm. Oregon. Actually, she's, uh, we found out there's a breeder where I grew up in Oregon, uh, in Lake, uh, Lake County. And, uh, poodle pointers are most closely related to German, uh, the German wirehair pointers. They look a lot like that, but oh, they're a little smaller. Um, and actually I think doing a little bit of research, they're an older breed. They're like 200 years old, but they're not popular in America. They're not registered with AKC and, uh, what is AKC? Well known, uh, American kennel club. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that's where like your German wire hair pointer is a registered, uh, breed. Um, mm-hmm. but if you get a German bred one, they're actually called a drathar. Yeah. Um, yep. and so I've got the, a friend that has two of those two drathars. Yeah. yeah. So the poodle pointer is going to be very close to the drathar, but they're a little smaller. And the nice thing about ours is, uh, like the poodle pointers have a much bigger, what they call an off switch. So like at, at home at night, she's totally chill. Uh, oh, I get home nice. and she uh, wants to run around and play for a little bit. And then when I'm done for the night and I go sit in the chair to watch YouTube videos of hunting stuff or read, like I've been reading the trapper's manual cause I'm trying to start a small trap line and stuff. She'll just jump in my lap and just lay down and she'll stay there for an hour. Okay. And yeah. then, uh, she'll get up, go get a bone and then lay down next to the bed. Um, or lay down next to the chair and yeah. just totally chills out. And that's super nice. And that's what a lot of yeah. people say that the, the nice. Drathars don't really yeah. have that same off. Switch. every time I've been to that friend's house, those Drathars are just keyed up. Yeah. <laughs> they are jumping up on your chest and you know, that they're, 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 they're great dogs. And actually I I'm really fond of them. I think they're awesome dogs, yeah. but I do not like dogs that are too energetic. Yeah. Mm. The, 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 the jumpy, you know, always throw a ball, you know, right. <laughs> play with me, pet me, touch me and pay attention to me. Yeah. She definitely <laughs> is very affectionate where she wants to be like with you and mm-hmm. she wants you to be like touching and petting her most of the time. Like if I'm sitting there, she'll come over and stick her arm, yeah, her nose yeah. under my arm and like bump me, but yeah. she's not running around all the time. <laughs> yeah. But then like this morning I was trying to sneak out of the house cause everybody else in the house was asleep. And I picked up that, my rifle case and she, <laughs> she was, was at the door pawing at the door and i'm like you've only gone out on like five or six hunts like you shouldn't have put this together yet but she's like dad's dressed guns out let's go and i was like calm down get back in the kettle right oh your poor dog yeah so she's she's probably sad but um and the chokes is uh um I forgot. I took her grouse hunting for the first time and my first time grouse hunting and I was missing these grouse terribly. And then I realized I'd left my full choke in. So I mm. wasn't shooting a modified choke. So I was missing the grouse cause we were close enough that my, uh, cause as you're with a full choke, you're depending on your shot size, um, or uh, your shells and stuff. Um, 
like at 20 yards with a full choke, your uh, shot might be the size of a softball. Oh, wow. So modified choke is better if you're shooting in closer. Full choke's better for like 30, 40, 50 yard shots. Gotcha. If you're shooting closer in, mm-hmm. which I traditionally do. Um, but I had that full choke in there because the last time I had been out, I was set myself up in a situation where I thought I was going to be taking 30 and 40 yard shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had put that full choke in. And uh, so I went to clean my rifle afterwards and was like, oh, <laughs> shooting at these grouse at like 10, 15 yards. And so I was shooting like smaller than a softball size ball a shot at them. Mm. See. So, yeah, probably a good well, thing you didn't hit them. Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Mutilate them. Yeah. I have so that's plans. why I was asking about your, if it's fixed yeah. choke or not. Yeah, I got you. So for down there, most of our shots and the way we've been hunting, they're yeah. 20, 30, 40. 50 yard yeah, shots. A lot of them are over 40. Yeah. yeah so you should be good with that that full choke if you're shooting yeah, that, over 40. That, I have a fixed full choke, 28 inch barrel. It's ported. Are you just 28 too? It's 28. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, I like uh, your shotgun. It, You've got it's, a... it's not an expensive shotgun. It's a Mossberg 835 Ulti Mag, they call it. Yep. Takes it up to three and a half inch shells. It's like a $500 shotgun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing's sweet. It's, no. a pump. it's a pump. It's not an auto or anything, but I like your uh, your double bead setup on that. Yeah, and it's got the double bead. Yeah. Setup. Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty really sweet. Nice. The high bead yeah. and the mid yep. bead. Yeah, yeah it's super nice. Yeah, he let me borrow it for a couple of couple of birds down there last year, and it was it's pretty slick. Uh, fiber optic on the front. Um, I no, I think it's solid. just a I think it's just a solid um a brass and a white brass and a white. Yeah, nice, interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I learned the hard lesson of the uh, the. <laughs> differences in barrel length last year because i, I brought <laughs> that's right i brought like my home defense shotgun yes. because it's the only one i had yep <laughs> and, and um it, it's cool it has this weird choke on the front of it where you actually spin it and you oh, can yeah. change yeah. your your yep. choke size um and True it, lo- it looks like a like a muzzle break and yeah uh, i'd never seen one before but i picked this thing up it's the remington 1100 semi-automatic oh, yep. nice. um and uh but it's not a long barrel it's, no, I think it's like 20, 22 inch, maybe. Yeah, it's um, pretty short. And so we, we would see him, we'd, you know, get in on some birds and whatnot. And then he'd be popping shots off and bird, bird down, pop a shot off, bird down. And I'm just, what is wrong with this thing? Like, <laughs> I had a buddy who was shooting the group eight feet. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the spread's just insanely wide. You got softball size holes between BBs. <laughs> right, right. I got a buddy who, uh, local guy, he's been helping me coach the youth football uh, the last out in North Pole the last couple of years. And he was like, Tyrell, I keep seeing you post pictures of these birds and like, getting out and I don't have anything to do this time of year. We should uh, do some bird hunting. And kind of the same thing. I was like, yeah, what shotgun do you got? And he's like, oh, I got this home defense. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Does that have a slug barrel on it? He was like, I don't know. I was like, we need to get you something with at least a choke or something. Yeah. 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 So, yep. yeah. I, I, I fully intend when you and I get down, uh, down into our uh, shooting range before we get out hunting, um, to, uh, to shoot that shotgun with that. Oh, yeah, just map, just, map your pattern. just to see. Don't shoot slugs with a full choke. I definitely won't. Yeah, okay. don't, don't do that. That'd be real bad. <laughs> That'd be real bad. Not real real bad. bad. <laughs> you might be okay with like a sabbated slug or something, but and I'm not going to try it. Even then, it's, it's, I don't yeah. think that's a good you idea. You don't want a banana no. in your barrel. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's <laughs> not even my gun. <laughs> you know, you guys pattern uh, your fixed, or your, uh, not fixed, um, your hunt rifles, your 
And yeah. a lot of guys, when I was really into waterfowl in Juneau, that's what a lot of guys will do the same thing. They'll try four or five different types of shot, really? four or five different types of brands. Oh, really? really? And they'll see how they pattern out of their guns at different distances. And they'll just get like a, a big sheet of cardboard, four foot sheet of cardboard, put them out at different distances and see where they start opening up and you start getting the big balls in between. No but kidding. yeah, waterfowl guys, they get pretty... That's something that really has me interested in mm-hmm. getting more into waterfowl hunting. I love it. I that's it just seems like such a low stress, fun activity. It's thing so much to fun. Do. And that's like, yeah, you're there's no being quiet. Like we go out there and we're drinking coffee. I will say if you're gonna call, um, if you get into duck calling and stuff, you do have to be careful. Um something that I always, I never did as good as I could, but I knew a couple guys who were competition callers. And anytime mm. you, um, introduce anything into your mouth, that's got sweets or anything, it makes you salivate more, which makes you plug your, uh, calls up faster. Oh, you're blowing fun. that hot air. You want to blow from your stomach. You don't blow from your chest. Yeah. Like you're trying to yeah. fog up a mirror. And so you get all that moisture into the call. Mm. So drinking just black coffee, drinking water, things like that are no fine, little Debbie's. but no little Debbie's, <laughs> no, um, no su- super sugary coffee, anything that makes you salivate more you're just going to plug those calls and especially up here when you're hunting in cold weather yeah right um you'll freeze those calls up real fast and uh because you're just introducing so much moisture so yeah. um well unfortunately our weather forecast looks unseasonably warm so so you'll be <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's be when you that's when you get calling anyway so you, you gotta that's another thing well, we'll definitely be doing now. some calling perfect yeah yeah um so i know that you've been going through the uh process of training your dog yeah um, this year what's talk a little bit about what that's looked like for being in, in like the interior of alaska because i know i've talked to some people that say they'd like to do that but don't know so how. there's a couple of different programs uh in alaska unfortunately there's no really great club in fairbanks mm. um but there is a group um they're actually with uh they've even got a facebook page it's the uh fairbanks uh navda which is north america versatile hunting dog association it's like North American NAVDA um, and NAVDA and something else, uh, VDD or something. And they're guys who mostly breed and train Drathars locally. I think there's three breeders locally okay. um, for Drathars. And uh, there's a GSP or a German Shorthair Pointer uh, breeder locally. So they do some training out on the uh, um, the flood control project and stuff during the summer. And mm-hmm. then in the winter, they do some uh, stuff at the canine center out there in North pole. Okay. So there's some access to that stuff. There's also a ton of stuff on YouTube, but it is, it was a really intimidating for me because I, I had never owned a dog before I'd wanted to do right. this, but having a dog and then the breeder we bought her from specifically was like we don't sell to anybody who doesn't hunt we only sell to hunting families so you have to commit that if you buy this dog like they have a dog in anchorage actually from the same breeder that that guy uh hunts geese up in um uh the bay up north the big bay mm-hmm. cold bay or whatever it is he they go hunt geese up there ptarmigan and grouse hunt all year round it has blood tracked multiple bears and moose mm. for them in southeast uh, or in southern in anchorage area kenai peninsula area okay. where it's helped them track down multiple wounded animals and so they use it for everything they do uh shed hunting and everything and so he was like if you buy this dog from us you have to commit to hunting it and we were like i was like well that's the only reason i want it i don't want a dog just to have a dog i want a dog to do waterfowl hunting and bird hunting and maybe shed hunting yeah yeah um luckily she's been super smart so i've talked to a couple of the local breeders asked for some pointers ways to kind of introduce retrieving and stuff and um 
just uh, watched a lot of YouTube videos, starting with um, even from the time their puppies introducing them into feathers, bones. Um, right. Mm. I started cutting up once we decided we were going to be getting a dog. Um, the last couple moose and caribou I harvested, I took all the leg bones and cut them up into like four inch sections. Mm. The antlers from the last couple cows I've got, I've cut into four inch sections. Cow caribou. Oh, cow caribou. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> couple, uh, take the antlers and then cut those into sections. Then I'll hide those out in the yard and like play with her with those, okay. play with the wings and stuff. Gotcha. Uh, so how early birds. on were you doing this with that dog? As soon as we got her. So we got her at 10 weeks, I okay. think nine or 10 weeks. Wow. And like, uh, some of these breeds, it's really amazing. Like he sent us a video of them playing with a feather in front of these like little six weeks old puppies. And some of them, uh, we wanted a female, but there was like, I think there was a male that even at like six weeks, they flipped a wing out into the group and like three, three of them locked into a point. No immediately. kidding. <laughs> really? At like four or five weeks old, they lock into a point and then they'd start playing and then they'd go back and stuff. And he's like, you can tell some dogs are just a lot birdier than others. Some dogs pay attention a lot more. And so depending, um, their personalities are just so varied, but yeah, even as little tiny pups, wow. you can find videos of uh, the Drathars, the Poodle Pointers, the GSPs, and they all just lock into a full, <laughs> full point, not even knowing what they're doing. It's just completely instinctual. Huh, wow. So it's pretty amazing. That's really neat. So that's been for her, like, um, this winter, it was really funny. Cause when I shot, um, I shot a duck, she retrieved it, her first wild retrieve. And, um, the second time I took her out, it was really cold. There's snow on the ground. And I threw a bumper into the water a couple of times because we weren't seeing any birds. And she went in about two times and then was like, yeah, I'm done. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold in there. There's nowhere to dry off. There's snow you everywhere. Go get the duck. <laughs> I'm not interested in the bumper. And then we had a duck fly over and I shot it. And she would like walk to the water's edge and wasn't sure. And I just kind of pushed her in the water and she just went, got the duck and brought it back. No problems. As soon as mm. I pushed her into the water and she realized it was a duck and not a bumper, I could not get her to go get the last bumper. I did have to go get it, <laughs> which is something I need to work on with training. Um, there's a couple of different programs, force fetched. And, um, I don't remember the name of the other program, but mm. you kind of train them that basically when you say fetch, you don't have an option. You gotta right, go do right. it. Um, but once you just stand there and point at you, right. <laughs> you go get it. <laughs> so the last bumper, I basically, I think I actually walked her out in my chest waders into the, into the slough and mm. like pushed her out. So she did go get it. I didn't go get it myself, but she wouldn't. But as soon as she saw that duck fluttering and her paws were in the water, she just took off. Yeah. Mm. And that one was floating downstream. She probably swam 50 yards. Oh, um, wow. Cause it was, it got caught in the current and she just, once she saw it and it, with that wing flipped up white, she was gone nice. and straight on straight back to me. We're working on some soft mouth stuff. She kind of bites at it, which is something I got to figure out how to train to mm -hmm. get her to stop. But mm. well, cool. But yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Nice. It's very cool. And it's a ton of fun just seeing her. Like we went out for a walk last Saturday. Um, and just on uh, looking for if we would run across any fox or anything since I've got my trapping license. I was like, yeah, if we run across a fox or a rabbit, I'll pop it with my 17 yeah. and mm -hmm. and uh, let her retrieve that too because they're supposed to be great on fur as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of the guys train their, uh, the Drathars to do fur. 
And so, but she was just nose down in the fox tracks. We ran across a wolf track and she like froze on it and then kind of followed it really cautiously a little bit and stuff. So super cool. So kind of Um, a multi-purpose hunting dog. Yeah. Yeah, And that's the NAVDA North America versatile hunting dog is all about. And we got her tested. We went down in July for, they do a one test a year. Um, I think they only do one test a year in Alaska, but it's, it's all about, you need to be able to do all of it. It's everything. The whole point of the versatile hunting dogs, the Drathars, the Poodle Pointers, the GSPs, the Monster landers is all you should be able to use them from shed hunting to waterfowl hunting to grouse to or upland bird to um blood tracking to uh collecting fur everything a lot of guys um for the german bred dogs actually they can get an award your dog can get special recognition like um for the german registered dogs if your dog kills a fur bearer like Mm -hmm. a fox if your dog catches and kills a fox it like is leveled higher in no, the breeding. No um, I just found out about that doing some research because um, somebody cool. was asking about a poodle pointer. They're like, if my poodle pointer catches and kills a fox, like, what do I do? And they were like, you turn it in because that's awesome. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty well, interesting. It's a whole different world. It's so funny, like listening to your guys' podcast and a couple other podcasts and just being involved in some of this stuff. Each one of these worlds, whether it's trapping or waterfowl or upland bird, there's so much you can dive into. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like for me, I've got really limited time. Um, Family guy, five kids, tons of activities. I got dance. We got football. We've got, I've got my work. I do. I work. uh, I sell heavy machinery, which gives me a little bit more freedom. I'm allowed. I can kind of go around town and stuff in my truck uh, visiting Mm -hmm. customers, but still a lot of time. Right. Right. And then for time off, I'm really limited. Um, I get three weeks off a year. Mm. And then I get like six holidays, seven holidays. So mm. my time and my wife and I's agreement is I can use half my vacation time for hunting <laughs> stuff. There you go. So I get like this year I got seven days. Um, and so like that was all dedicated to my sheep hunt this year. Right. As soon as I drew that tag, I was like, okay, seven days for sheep hunting. Mm-hmm. And so it really limits my time. And so it's hard to get involved with everything you want to do. I'd love to reload. Don't like, <laughs> where do I find time and space? I'd want to do more with the dog. Where do I find time and space? I want to do more with waterfowl, but I'm trying to get a moose so that I can feed my large growing family and my 14 year or 13 year old son. Who's now taller than me, much to my dismay. Not oh, happy wow. with it. Yeah. He's super excited about that. All he, he told, oh, yeah. he told I, the family, he's like, all I want for Chris or for my birthday is to be taller than dad. So on his birthday, my wife got a piece of wood and a level and he's officially like an eighth oh, of an inch man. taller than me. Wow. So crappy. But <laughs> So, yeah. So I'm like, you guys need to start killing your own animals. And then once you guys start moose hunting, then I can waterfowl. And I don't even need to worry about it. Like, <laughs> there you right? go. So, there you go. And don't call me when you kill one. You take care of it yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what I had to do with my first one. I called like six. I had like seven or eight people who were like, hey, when you get your first moose, call us. No matter what, we'll be there. And I called all seven of them. And they're like, hey, I'm really sorry. We're busy. <laughs> so eventually I was just like, all right, well, I guess we're going to figure this out. You've watched enough YouTube videos and helped your dad a couple times. So just get her done. And there you go. I got it home. So, <laughs> well, let's take a quick break real quick and we'll, we'll get into the uh, interior stuff. Perfect. Hammer bullets produces what we at the Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. 
These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great VCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high-velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER to drop the hammer on your next adventure. All right, so it sounds like you've had some better hunting success since you moved up here, but what prompted your uh, your move to the interior? Uh, job opportunity. Job opportunity. Um, I position opened up as a salesperson up here, and my boss contacted me. I was like, hey, I really think you should apply for this job. And okay. You should uh, um, do that. And I was like, there's no way my wife from Juno is going to move somewhere where it gets minus 50. <laughs> And he was like, well, just ask her. And she was like, yeah, no, <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> and um, long story short, we ended up uh, three months later, I, uh, I, we moved up here. So that was July 1st. I think we drew, we drove up uh, the July 4th weekend of 2016. So okay. you took a ferry from Juno to Val- Valdez or we went up to Haynes, Juno oh, to Haynes. Okay. To Haynes. And then, uh, we drove with all the kids and a U-Haul. So re- my wife took the SUV, um, and all the kids and I had a U-Haul, um, and we drove from Haynes. So it was, uh, gosh, it was four hours on the ferry from Juno to Haynes jump off. And then it was, I think six hours, to Destruction Bay, which is kind of the halfway point mm-hmm. between Haynes and, or from, uh, sorry, Juno to Fairbanks. So we got to Destruction Bay, rented a, a couple of rooms, stayed the night there. That's that's a got gorgeous it. area, though. Oh, it was it was such uh, a cool drive. It was uh-huh. beautiful. Um, I really enjoyed that drive. I would I would love to go do some hunting in British Columbia mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and in the Yukon. I've got uh, that's something that's kind of on my list of yeah in future plans. The the thing that blew my mind about British Columbia when I drove through was that just on the highway, I'm pretty sure we saw every version of wildlife there was. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. bears along the side of the road. There were bison on the road. There were yeah. elk. Oh, well. There were deer. There yeah. was like I mean just. As you're driving through, it's like Yellowstone. There's a play. ton of animals in yeah. British Columbia along that road. We yeah. didn't see much wildlife. That was, and we were really expecting to, hmm. um, but we barely saw anything on both trips. Because so we went through British Columbia again when we drove from uh, uh, Washington to Juneau. Oh, uh, that yeah. whole we went up to Prince George and then over to Prince Rupert, and that whole thing's in British Columbia, and we saw hardly any wildlife. Really, hmm. so that was really interesting. But yeah. which was probably a, a godsend at the time because. Um, that Durango I was driving, I couldn't even <laughs> see the uh, the right hand mirror because the car was so loaded with stuff. <laughs> my wife had all three of the cars. I literally was like my right elbow. I couldn't even use the, the middle oh, rest because it was shoved full uh, at the border. They opened the doors and they looked at it and were like, "You're nah. gonna have to put this back together. We don't know how you close the doors." <laughs> and like they all sat there and watched me jigsaw it all back and shut the doors. It was at least they did, did. They make you pull it all out or no no they were they, <laughs> they were gonna said, search the nope. car and uh they looked at it and we're like all right you're good to go <laughs> they opened all all four doors and the back and then we're just like stuff was falling out all over the place and they were just like i'm yeah, sorry we're, and then yeah just watching me like a circus act just put everything back together the clampets go to fairbanks yeah, basically. <laughs> there you go so luckily uh luckily we're nothing nothing bad that yeah 
So, yeah. so you, you struggled with with the deer hunting down there, and yeah, and deer hunting was the, terrible and whatnot. So, when you got up here, did you pretty much hit the ground running, just trying trying at stuff in the interior? Did it take so, you a while? when we got here, I knew before we moved up, I knew a guy um, that had archery hunted quite a bit in just the FMA, the Fairbanks Management Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I had actually I grew up shooting a bow. I started shooting a bow. My dad was a big archer, and so I started shooting when I was four, and I shot till I was about seventeen. Okay. Um, and so I did a horse trade, got a bow, got my bow cert right before we moved up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came up with the intention to moose hunt locally, just in the FMA. Yeah. I wasn't sure where it was going to go from there, but um, I had a rifle and I had um, I had a thirty out six American, which is uh, Ruger American, mm. which is I ended up selling because I hated that rifle. Um, <laughs> but I had that in a bow, and um, so I kind of started running around town looking for moose, and had a couple guys show me some spots that are uh, that they had gone to, and actually that was the guy who no longer lived here, and they had a house they were renting, and so he kind of would come up to take care of the house and mm. show me some spots. And okay. So run around town looking for a moose with a bow, and I did that for um, the first year we were up here, so that was 2016. And then in 2017, I did my first moose hunt. Um, we went out and did like a five day stay out in a wall tent and, mm. uh, which is why ever since then I've really wanted to get a TP or something that has no floor just cause I love, love to walking into that wall tent and having the stove and everything. Um, but did the wall tent. It was an awesome, awesome experience. We saw a couple of bulls, uh, tried to got in a, a disagreement with my hunting partner and he wanted to climb the hill after the moose. I told him that there was no way they were, they were going to spook off before we got to him. And anyway, long story short, I ended up climbing the hill to go find the moose, never found him. Um, <laughs> when we got about 400 yards up the slope, I turned around and I had been, we had both been doing a little bit of calling in the bottom and there was a little spike fork down in the bottom and we were in an any bull area. So I was like, Son of a gun. Should have stayed down there and we could have murdered that little guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being done and gone home and I'd have gotten a moose. Murdered. Um, such Sorry. a such killed. A, just yeah. harvested. Harvested. D- there we go. Yeah. 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 Harvested. You caught. I caught. caught the moose. <laughs> we could have caught that little guy. Um, Oh, but boy. so instead we went up after the, the bigger moose up high and never saw him. Um, and that was the only two bulls we saw that trip. Uh, spent three days just in the rain and muck up high. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an interesting thing. And I still, I really overall, I'm a pretty inexperienced hunter. I've spent a lot of time just kind of stumbling my way through this stuff, trying to figure it out on my own. Um, I haven't really had a lot of mentors really, so I spent a lot of time talking, like I know James and Dalton, I've been texting you guys for, we've I met you guys about a year ago? Yeah, year just about, ago, yeah. Right yeah. before the podcast started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of been texting you guys, and I got a couple other guys, um, local guys, as well as I've got a buddy down in uh, Montana who used to be a guide for elk and stuff. So there, I've got four or five guys that whenever I'm trying to form opinions and trying to figure out where I want to start my own personal research, kind of where that kickoff point is. And mm-hmm. so I talked to these four or five guys get some information. And so that's like all my moose hunting, my sheep hunting, my caribou hunting has all kind of started in that way where I really just kind of talk to a couple people, get a feel for what I want to do, and then try to make something happen. So really have been unsuccessful with moose so far. I did harvest a a young, I harvested a a yearling moose um, in the FMA. 
um, with my bow um, that year, 2017. So we didn't get a bull um, in our big camp out hunt. Um, we went two weekends. So we went the next weekend um, and I've actually haven't been out to that spot. I want to go back out there um, this year if possible, um, but I haven't been back out since 2017. Mm. And then um, in 2018, I got a Minto cow. We went out and did the cow oh, on okay. Minto, which I know okay, a, lot nice. of the, a lot of the older folks are probably... The old time hunters, every time I tell them that they get real upset, but yeah. I didn't know better and there's mixed feelings about it, but I needed a moose it's, and we put meat in the freezer. That's what was, if they're giving away tags and I get one, even if I don't agree with, with the fact that they're giving them away, at least it's my meat, you know? Well, yeah, and, and I filled that's the freezer. It, it, it was important. That's we my, if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at the people that issued the tags. Don't be mad at the hunters Yeah, that, yeah. that are just trying to feed their families. But yeah. So those are the two moose I've harvested. So got one in 2017 with my bow, one in 2018 with a rifle. And mm. then, um, I got really close two years ago. We actually had, we got a bull moose and, uh, we were out in a 50 or four, mm-hmm. um, mm. spike fork 50 or four area. And we called in a three brow tine bull who, Mm. He was I think you right sent me on the video. Yeah, of that I sent one, you, you yeah. some pictures of it. For sure. I don't know if I shared them with you, Dalton. Yeah, I don't think we, I saw we those. pulled in a bull, and he walked. I had my older son with me, and it's still one of the things he thinks was such a cool experience. But that bull came on a string to, gosh, I want to say 27 yards. You have video and photos of it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it was close. He, he was nice. Yeah. And so I, I pulled my spotting scope out and I had my phone app and I had the old phone scope, which I've upgraded to a different uh, magnetic system now, which is way nicer. But yeah. I had threw the phone scope on that spotter, zoomed in, took a picture and I'm like, gosh, he's so close. And my buddy who we were with, uh, he pulled out a tape measure and we're measuring a rule of thumb. I was told by an old moose guide was, uh, for a mature bull, outer eye to outer eye is 10 inches. Mm. So if you measure that and then you take whatever it is, so like on a tape measure, you make that Mm -hmm. half an inch. And then if you're two and a half inches, if your horns or, or your antlers are sticking out on the edges, then you're legal. Yeah he was right yeah right there like he was either just the tips were out or just the tips were in and i we couldn't make it and my son's sitting there ranging him he's like dad he's at 60 yards dad he's at 50 yards dad he's at 30 yards dad can we shoot him dad he's at 45 and i'm just sitting there panicking just like come on make it legal (laughs) and the guy i was with was like just don't do something you're gonna regret so i was like this is so tough but we let him walk he's either 48 and a half or he's 51 (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's not worth it so we let him walk and that was a a cool experience because we got to talk to my son about it and kind of talked about ethics and morals and why we let him walk versus why we didn't just blast him and uh, it was still tough he was a gorgeous looking bull and uh, it was the closest i've been to moose it was super cool to see him just come in like that but um so i haven't had any other success with a a moose and then that year i also got into caribou hunting um we harvested a, a caribou that year and i think i've harvested a caribou every year 
Very nice. since then. Yeah. Um, yep. So I think, or more. Um, I know there was the one year there was three tags given out uh, for the 40 mile, and I harvested yep. three that year. And I've done that a lot by myself, um, mostly by myself. Um, I want to start taking my older three kids out. They all passed hunters at this last year. But oh, we're good. good. So yeah, took them through that program. Very cool. Got them a couple. I got them a rifle, 6.5. You're welcome, Mariah. Um, <laughs> yes. And <laughs> I actually won a 6.5 um, in the Friends of the NRA raffle. So I've got two 6.5s uh, that I've oh, set up man. for the kids. I, you know, I, I put in for raffles every single time I go to one of those events. And it's <laughs> My wife says I'm super lucky, but only when she's not there. Cause I win, I'm in a couple of, uh, online meta platform knife communities. And, uh, I pretty regularly, they'll do these, uh, they call them good cause raffles, um, or waffles. Cause I can't do raffles online or whatever. Um, <laughs> And so they'll do these giveaways for people who have things happen to them. Like the last one, a guy's house burned down. And uh, so they did okay. this a bunch of people donate knives and stuff. And it's like almost every time I put in, if I don't tell my wife and like, if I go to the friends of the NRA event and she's not there, I win. <laughs> and she's like, and I've got a couple of buddies and stuff and they're all like, you're the luckiest person we know. You're always are winning stuff. And I was, but I put in a lot more too. A lot of those guys, they'll put in for one thing a year. Right. So right. if you put in for one and you don't get right. it, well, you yeah, where I put in for like 15 and I win three. Right. Somebody I know last weekend, uh, I, I was out on the town with them. It was, it was for a Christmas party event. And this person had never bought a pull tab before. I didn't even know how pull tabs work. I have, I don't either. I had no clue. This dude bought his first pull tab and won 300 bucks. What? <laughs> nice. You know, I awesome. think what is wrong with you? <laughs> I think my dad, my dad has a story like that. Like he was out with Buddy and they said, oh, buy a full tab, you know? And so he bought one and he won like, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever he was. And they're like, all right, now you got to buy like a hundred more, however much they cost. Uh, no. Yeah. And he goes, nope. Proved I could do it once. <laughs> we were at a restaurant in Juneau right before we left and we were eating lunch, um, me and a coworker, and there was a lady in the restaurant on the bar side and she won four pull tabs in a row. She won $1,500 wow. sitting there at lunch. She bought like five pull tabs and four of them were winners. No it was ridiculous. Kidding. She was freaking out. She's like, I'm going to buy everybody lunch. <laughs> we're all like, don't do it. Save the money. <laughs> right? Clock out for the day. Don't go back to work. Go have fun. <laughs> it was pretty funny. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, I've harvested two good bull or one good bull. Um, and I want to do some more, um, this year. Well, and I know I've kind of talked to you guys a little bit about it. I really wanted to go out and do something a little bit different. So, um, I took my bow up the hall road and mm. really wanted to focus on trying to get something with my bow. I bought a really nice bow back in 2020. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that later, but for my first sheep hunt, I drew, a, an archery tag. And so I ended up getting a Matthews, uh, VXR 28 that I love. Um, and uh, short axle to axle and everything. But I really haven't killed anything other than a goose with it. Um, <laughs> and so I was really wanting to get something this year. So I took it out. I did four attempts up the hall road, had some good opportunities. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't able to make that work this year. But yeah. uh, so this will actually be the first year since 2018 or 2017 that I won't have harvested a caribou. So, wow. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But. You did harvest something else. I so. did get something else though. So, <laughs> so consolation prize, I guess. So sheep hunting for you. So you mm -hmm. drew you drew an extra tag this year, or not yep. an extra tag, but you you did draw a second 
sheep tag. So you're yep. that lucky. Yes, yeah. I am that lucky. <laughs> you, yeah, I'm that guy. You put in for a sheep so, tag and you got it. Let's see. It's We moved up. I had never put in for a draw before until 2017. I think the the fall or maybe it was 18. Hmm. Anyway, um, it must have been 18 is when I must have shot that first. Anyway, um, since I started putting in for draws, I think I've drawn something every year. I hate you. So <laughs> what, what, which politician do you know? I don't know any of them. I'm actually pretty anti-political. So I just, just want to throw things at all of them. So. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for the week. <laughs> Tyrell, you Sorry, can guys, I'll treat, out. Treat by Tyrell. Tyrell, you can get out of our studio. Oh, that's, that's so right. lucky. I, 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 yeah. So, wow. I've drawn, so I've drawn the antlerless FMA twice. I drew DS-141, which is the October uh, Chugiak sheep hunt. Mm. Is that up the Eklutna? Um, No, I drew... So that's... Uh, 141 is the rest of it. Not oh, a Kludna okay. and not the Eagle River drainage, uh-huh. which is 123, I think. Um, yeah, something like that. And then a Klutna is a different one, but 141 is like the rest of it. So you can go in from the south or the uh, west. Mm-hmm. So, Gotcha. And I think there, there's even some areas up on the north side, but when I was doing all my research and stuff, there was no sheep there. But so I drew that in 2020. Um, and so, and then this year I drew DS 120. 124, 123, yeah. 123, I think. Yeah. It's the late season uh, Delta management area type. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So was the 2020, is that your first sheep hunt? Yes. Yeah, okay. that was my first sheep hunt. Gotcha. That, that's when you caught the bug? I kind of... <laughs> I kind of had the bug a little bit before that. I just didn't really, I didn't really know what to do with it. What made you have an interest in sheep hunting at all? So when I was a kid, um, two events kind of, I have two big goals and one was a sheep and the other is a Roosevelt elk. Um, when I was a younger, when I, gosh, I want to say I was eight or nine. Um, the first event was my dad was a handyman, didn't have a steady job. And one of the jobs he got was at this wild plum winery. They had a uh, really nice stone fireplace and, uh, that, the uh, smoke chimney, chimney, mm. the chimney was, uh, <laughs> smoke. <laughs> Uh, the chimney was plugged and stuff. The rocks were falling out. So my dad was fixing it and we walked in the winery and on the showroom, he had this really fancy bar and these like big wide barrels, but up in front of it or on above it was three Roosevelt elk. Mm. And there was one bugle into the left, one bugle into the right. And the other one was looking straight down in the room. My dad said that that's the only time he can remember that I sat down in the middle of a floor and didn't move for like two hours. <laughs> he did the entire job. And I just sat there and stared at those elk almost the entire time. Like mm. he kept having to call me over to help him with stuff, hand him tools and stuff. And then I'd go back to just staring at those elk. And so I've always had this kind of idea that I wanted an elk on the wall Mm. and I've wanted to hunt elk. And then in 2000, in 2000, my dad was working census and in Lake County, we went up and over a, uh, the mountains into a remote area. And while we were doing that, a group of wild bighorn rams ran across the road in front of us. Mm. Um, there were eight rams or 10 rams in the group. I remember two of them specifically had pretty big, I don't know if they were half curl, three quarter curl. I don't remember enough detail, but they had decent head racks on them. And, um, I just remember my dad stopped the Bronco middle of the highway. We're the only people there. Cause we're out in the middle of 
nowhere. <laughs> and so we just watched these sheep and they were standing on the mountain side of the mountain, just looking at us. And then they slowly went up. And ever since then, I've just thought it'd be so cool. I've always kind of been like someday, someday I'll, I'll, I'll sheep hunt someday. I'll get a sheep and someday mm. that'd be super cool. And, but it's never been something I focused on. And back then I wasn't even that into hunting. Like I said, mm. and I didn't really get into hunting until we moved up here. Right. So in like 2018 or 2019, I was talking to a couple of guys and I was like, I need to start putting in for uh, sheep hunts down in the lower 48. Cause I really want to come down and, and shoot a bighorn and uh, do that. And one of uh, my buddy from Montana, uh, his name is Ben. He goes, you're an idiot. Why aren't you sheep hunting in Alaska? You're live there. And I was like, <laughs> I guess that's a fair point. I just hadn't really thought about sheep hunting in Alaska. He's yeah. like, I know you want a bighorn, but you live in the best place in the U S if you want to be a sheep hunter. And I was yeah. like, all right. So that year, I think that must've been 2019. Cause I put in for a draw that year. And that was my first draw. So okay. I put in and drew the DS one forty one the first my first time. So there are people listening to this that are probably fuming, right? You're now. welcome, everybody. <laughs> I'm the guy who's stealing your time. Not really. <laughs> so so I still haven't got a bison. I've been putting in since I started putting in for draws, whatever you know, that was, and I haven't yeah, got a bison. At least yet. he hasn't got a bison. At least, right? at least not this year. I was going to say, I'll probably get one next year. I was going to say, I haven't put in yet. I told my wife that I'm not putting in for any sheep hunts this year, but I am still putting in for bison. There you go. And I've told her that when I do draw the bison, I'm getting a shoulder mount and we're turning that whole hide into a uh, blanket for the bed. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be like 10 grand. So she's just praying. I don't get it. I shouldn't have told her how much it was going to cost. I don't know that I want to ask you which one you're putting in for, but there is one bison permit in this state that I really want to get. And it ain't the, it ain't the common one. Right. (laughs) Probably not the same one. Yeah. You probably have way better information than I do. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants when it comes to bison. I just want to talk off the air. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) So, I did put it in for the new muskox hunt this year too. Um, oh yeah, oh, last yeah. year, yeah. and I was really yeah. hoping to draw that. Well, if anybody gets it, you probably will. I didn't. So. So <laughs> I, do, I I will put in for it. There you go. All four tags. You probably yeah. you probably sneeze pixie dust. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing on this mic, so I think we're fine. <laughs> you know, only thing I've won. I'm gonna that sterilize I, it. That I can remember that was a big deal. Was I won? Uh, Don't study it. You have to two, figure out what the what the secret is. Two weeks in a row. The same, uh, two different events, but two weekends in a row, I won uh, TVs on a bat on a hearing aid battery. Guess, <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> of all things. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Was, that was several years ago. But <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. That's hey, great. you won something. That's what's important. Yeah, yeah. You don't put in, right? Exactly. You got to put in. I'm still right. waiting to win the rubber ducky race. My kids love the rubber ducky race. There you go. Put in but that. it's because, you know, I just thought about this. It's because my wife's there. We do it as a family. I got to no. let her go. Yeah. Yeah. I let her go and then sneak off by myself, buy my own ticket and go hide somewhere. <laughs> and then I'll win. Like, what are all those extra ducks coming in hot from? <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't know. I don't know. That's weird. Also, if I win, I'm using these to book a hunting trip, not a family vacation. <laughs> How go. much money usually gets uh, gets given out in that in that race? I don't know. Um, I know that um, we normally buy them a little bit more expensive tickets because they give two uh, round trip tickets to anywhere Alaska. Right, somebody flies. should explain wow. what the rubber ducky race is. So for uh, somebody else might be able to do this better. One of the guys nope. who grew up here. No, but I've never uh, golden, golden Days is a yeah. celebration in the summer that for the Golden Heart City of Fairbanks, which is the Golden Heart of Alaska. 
um, cause we're all about our golden hearts up here. <laughs> yeah. And, um, the rubber ducky race is a annual event that's done during the golden heart day celebration where they float a bunch of duckies a mile down a river from one bridge to another, they release them. And, um, you can buy numbers that are put on the ducks and you can also buy like, um, uh, you can also buy that an actual wild duck wins the race because they join the duckies and that. and so there's <laughs> different things. Yep, it's what? you can buy that, um, and so you can put in that you think a real duck's going to win instead of a rubber duck. Um, but so has that ever happened? I don't. I I think somebody said that because I kind of was like, if it's in the rule book, it's got to have happened right. once. <laughs> Some somebody said, well, my I, duck got first place. No, technically your duck got second place because yeah. that duck swam across the line first. So fishing game yeah. is just two miles up river, just throwing ducks out of boxes. <laughs> like, go go go! Is is this around the same time as the the river regatta? I think is what they call it, the red green regatta, where you get like a bunch uh, of like little. Sure. I think it's, it's like in it's, August, beginning it's of August. Minimalist, minimalist boat builds, it's, and you just float a raft down the river. It's, it's kind it's of Mariah's family is very familiar. It's with not that. minimalist. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we've won this a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> if, I don't know what this is, were, but now I want to hear I more. There were Let rules me know on like the materials you can use and it, stuff like so, that. So I don't believe there's any rules specifically, except that maybe you can't use a real boat. Okay, gotcha. Um, I don't remember for sure. It was we did, I haven't entered in it for a long time, but we did it for several years when I was a teenager. And uh, we won first place one year. Nice. And we won third place the next year, I think. What kind of boat did you enter and, to oh, win no, we first won, place? And we won like uh, some spoof award. Um, some spoof award. <laughs> it, it, the third year. We did, I think we did it three years and won something every year. Um, anyhow, so what it is, is if anybody's seen the Red Green show. Yeah. It's an older show from the 90s. I think maybe started in the 80s, went into the 90s. Yeah. And it's it's just a redneck, you know. It, comedy. It's redneck kinda, comedy, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, Kind of a variety show. Yeah. You've got an old guy who's just fixes everything with duct tape and, you know, yes. yeah. the repair part of the show where he says, if it ain't broke, you're not trying. Yeah. You know, they give out what would be called today like dad advice. You know, yes. it's all always bad advice, right? But yeah. um, anyhow, it and it's it, it was funny and my dad liked watching it. Well, I don't know. And I don't know if they've actually done it for several years now. I was just say the last time I was involved in it, it was like, I don't know, four or five years ago. Okay. So... so but basically what it is, is taking the whole idea and the theme of red green in the show is you just make a boat out of junk and duct tape and float down the river, float down the Chena yeah, river. Uh, you start at, oh, I don't even remember where you start. And I was too young to pay that much attention to all that. But, um, well you end at Pioneer Park at the boat landing there. Right, right. Yep. Anyhow. So it's not like who's fastest or anything like that. It's basically the most can creativity. <laughs> can you make you it? Because <laughs> a lot of people don't make it. And we always joked about taking like uh, poles with nails on the end of them for, <laughs> for all the people with their tubes and everything out there. But no, I mean, I think the year we won was the year my dad took a, um, I know he took, <laughs> he, well, he, he strung up Christmas lights and I can't remember how he tried to run them like off a little generator or something on the boat. <laughs> And, but then he took a moose antler and put it at the back as a rudder and hooked it up with a rope and everything with pulleys to a steering wheel. So the moose antler worked. That's the year we won first place. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, I like uh, it. And, wow. you know, of course, it was a whole, like, antlers everywhere. And it, it was it was my my grandfather would come up and uncle would come up from the States <laughs> and we'd all do this whole thing together. Yes. And, uh, yeah, we won first place that year. And the next year, I think we won third place. And I remember what we did that year. And then the year after that, we won something like called like Harold's Debacle. 
which if you've seen the show, you'd understand the name, and I'm just going to say watch the show. <laughs> but, it, you know, it wasn't like a, we didn't like get a prize, but right. first place was like a real but nice kayak. Rights. Oh, bragging rights, right. Well, the first place, I think, was like a real nice kayak. Okay. Uh, and third place was like a little U-boat, you know, for floating around and fishing. Mm. Nice. Gotcha. Um, so, That's I mean, cool. you know, decent awards. Yeah. I don't think it didn't cost much to enter. Right. I think we got sponsored, but my dad knew one of the Century Hardware managers oh, or owners here in <laughs> nice. North Pole, and so he got us a sign or whatever that said sponsored by Century Hardware, and they gave us a bunch of duct tape, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I, think, I think the best part of that show was when that uh, old man Red Green would always say, and remember, folks, if the girls don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> right. every, show, every episode. Her best advice. He, I, I love yeah. that. He actually came up here several years. He came up here once for the regatta. He, you know, stayed on the boat with the judges. I don't know if he got any say or, no, or whatever. But, <laughs> and then he, um, his real name was Rick Green, but, you know, Red Green for the show. But he, yeah. um, and then he was up here for the Golden Days Parade. And I was at another float and they had, I don't know if it was. The regatta float or red green float. I remember why. So I bet you it is around the same time. Um, yeah, it, it was July or early yeah, August. Yeah. It was. It was around the same time. Yeah. Um, but it was always on it, like on a Sunday morning. What do you win for the duck but, race? Uh, so there's different uh, prizes for uh, like they normally give away some cash. They give away round trip tickets on Alaska Airlines, and they oh, wow. kind of give away some big ticket or big ticket yeah, items. There, there's some yeah. decent uh, things. I mean, there's like. I'm going to throw out a stupid number, but I think there's like 3,000 or 4,000 ducks they throw. 8,000. 8,000 ducks? Is it really? Yeah, it's a pile of ducks. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's hilarious. But my kids love it and the wife loves it, but I haven't won because I always go as a family. Now I got to try that this year. Go by myself. <laughs> there you right. go. Well, folks, for the uh, for the annual duck race in Fairbanks, Alaska, look for the Northern Hunter sponsored duck. <laughs> there you go. We're going to have a big old duck with paddle wings on it that works on the water. Camouflage. We just get that just, like 10 foot long yeah. inflatable duck. And it has big old wings on it that just. Just put the other ducks behind it and it's we're, battery we're riding on it's it doing, the, doing like a, little, a steam the wave boat. like we're in the thanksgiving parade yeah like, <laughs> the steamboat paddles on the side just yeah. just churning yeah. the other the rubber exactly. duckies behind it exactly yeah, well go. you know it, it's, it's a cool dive off into uh you know a little bit of alaska culture for oh yeah it's not here yeah. not living here this is our this summers is how we are stay. short yeah <laughs> summers are short you gotta, you gotta live a you little also crazy can, sometimes i i don't know if they're still doing it i know they stopped during covid but you can also there's the uh um the sheriffs in the jail. Oh yeah. So you can yeah. pay money to, there's like a mobile trailer that they build a fake jail on. Oh, and that's you right. You can pay people to like, I can be like, Hey, here's 500 bucks. I want you to go arrest Dalton gray and they will come and they would arrest you. And then you had to pay to get let out. And it was a fundraiser for something. I don't remember what, Yeah. But they're all dressed so up as mad at you. They're <laughs> all dressed up as uh, sheriff, old time sheriffs, and they're all their old western gear and stuff, driving yeah. around a truck with a trailer behind it that's got I've, a jail I've on it. I've seen that in the Golden Days, parade. and they yeah, yeah they go through the parade. Um, but that's all part of that same thing. So going back to that Alaska <laughs> culture, you, we can still mad. pay to oh, arrest man. people. I, I, I oh would man, be, I would be so mad. Like that was my ammo money for the week. <laughs> <laughs> right, I was saving that. Our government is rigged. But as far as I know, I don't. They stop doing that during COVID so I don't know if you can still do that or not but am I being detained (laughs) show me the warrant (laughs) help help we're being repressed I could I could see how this awesome uh, reference I could see how this could turn very very bad he's repressing me 
Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, one of the other <laughs> knock, problems knock, they sheriff's had was... Sheriff's office. All right, it's here. <laughs> well, and some things that you I heard, like... You start hearing fortunate son in the background. <laughs> there were some people who would be, like, uh, they would get, like, a whole office together, and, like, everybody would pay, like, 100 bucks or whatever that dollar number is to arrest one person. So they'd arrest them, and then they'd be like, oh, well, we've you've been arrested again because you had, like, 10 people <laughs> oh, pay to have you arrested. And it's like, what? So I don't know. There's some rumors I heard about some issues. Issues with some people getting mad because they felt like they were being taken advantage of <laughs> by some unhappy people who didn't move in the area. But uh, oh, but it would be fun. <laughs> I hope they well, still do it. So let's. Point let's, being is, if I see you in my hunting spot, I'm just going to have you arrested. <laughs> there we go <laughs> for, golden, for golden days. Watch out next year, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to send a posse after you and put the law on you, son. How I know I, a guy. <laughs> wondering how i've not heard of this like i've really? seen that i've seen the truck and stuff but yeah. i didn't know that was a thing oh really yeah yeah it, it's like a it's it's a pretty big deal i knew some people back in the day that did some uh did some volunteer work for it they'd dress up and go <laughs> drive the truck around and stuff so it was, it was pretty funny. i would do that but, part of it that yeah would be a ton of fun. that's i would do yeah that part i'm okay with but i would not want to be day. the sheriff arresting somebody no, i'd oh, want to just be on. the guy driving around yeah. and watch, watching the drama watching but not the have to be in the middle of it <laughs> Just have your cell phone camera going all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, a little good, bit a, of Alaska summer. A, a good bit of Alaskan summer culture there. But. Uh, that's too funny. So tell us about that first sheep hunt, that first. So. Yeah. You, you caught the bug. You started doing the research. You put in for one of the most coveted draw tags and you got it your first try. Well, so. So. <laughs> so it started in 2020 with the archery tag. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a huge shock. I put in and everybody was yeah. like, you know, oh, you're going to put in. You're never going to get it. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm putting in for a sheep hunt. And she's like, all right, cool. And um, she was like, what are you going to need if you get it? And I'm like, everything. I have nothing mm. to go on a backcountry hunt. Like, Just I literally have gauge. nothing. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. oh, I, I'm sorry. I forgot it was an archery no, hunt. Archery hunt. <laughs> Strike that. Reverse it. <laughs> and throw so, an arrow, arrow down the tube. Just. Hey, it was supposed to work with a 410. <laughs> um, so I, she was like, all right, well, I guess I hope you get it for you. And I hope for our finances, you don't get it. And I was like, all right, that's fair. And then in February, I was like, oh, I drew it. And she was just like, what? And the first thing I thought was, I was like, well, I'm going to need a lot of gear. And then I was like, I don't have anybody to go with. Yeah. So I started when I got that, I called the first three people I could think of. And they were all like, man, how long are you looking to go for? And I was like, I'm going to go for the full 10 day season. Oh, it's only a 10 day opener. I think, I think so. I think that that one is like 10 or I think it's October 1st to October 10th. Wow. And so I was like, I'm going to go for the whole thing. And if I can, mm-hmm. I'll go the day before and I'll come out mm-hmm, the day right. after. So I get all 10 days in the yeah. backcountry. Yeah. So I started calling people and everybody I talked to was like, nope, I'm sorry. Can't mm. give up that much time. No, I don't have that much time. I can't come to Alaska for that long. And so I was calling everybody I could think of. And I had nobody who was doing it. So I just started piecemealing gear. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I have to be prepared to do it on my own, which my wife was not happy about. Mm-hmm. But I started... um looking into it, you know, I've listened to some other podcasts, talk to you guys. Um, cause I started listening to a podcast before you guys came out. Um, used to listen to some big name podcasts that I don't listen to as much anymore, but you can always, all of these come out with some good advice and some of the things like, and there's a lot of valuable information. I love what you guys are doing here. And, um, 
there's so much good information. And so listening to some of those other things, it was I, one of the things they said was reach out to the local biologist to the area. Mm, so yep. that was the first thing I did. As soon as I saw that I right. drove that tag, I was like, Hey, uh, who's the Anchorage biologist for sheep. And so I called down, talked to, um, the biologist down there. Um, Tom and, uh, Tom Loha. Yeah. Lohais. Lohais. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so talked to him, got his, I told him what I did. I told him I was brand new to sheep hunting. This was, I was not expecting to draw this, asked him for a bunch of advice and he was super open. And, um, it was interesting mm-hmm. talking to some people later because they were like, well, one thing to remember is he's probably telling that same information to yeah, every right. sheep hunter who calls in. So everything right. he says is really, really good information, but you also have to remember that he's telling that same really good information to everyone who yeah, calls in. That's his yeah. job. But it is it is good, accurate information. So it's good stuff to have. You should still call. And that's, I would say that's the first call for anybody who gets into sheep hunting or any kind of hunting, or if you're coming up to Alaska and you know, you got to draw, definitely call. Um, if you know the area you're going to, or you want to go to call and talk to some local biologists or people just because there's so much information. He told me, he was like, don't hunt this unit or this part of the unit because of these reasons. Like, Mm. uh, there's very few sheep back there. We never see very high numbers. If you want a higher chance of success, if you want a higher chance of success and you want a big, or, uh, you don't care about size, I would recommend this area. And he ran through a bunch of stuff. And I was like, all right, so what do you think are my four best options depending on what my goals are? And he was like, if your goal is to kill a really big old Ram, this is what I would do. Option one, option two. If you're just looking to shoot anything, this is what I would do. Option one, option two. And so he really helped me kind of break down. And then from there, I was able to kind of start figuring out where I wanted to go. And like, for me, it's my first sheep hunt, first archery hunt, really like not other than the local Fairbanks management area hunts. Um, I was like, if I can get something that's a third curl or bigger, I will be happy Mm. to get that close to a sheep. And that's an any Ram. And that is an any Ram tag. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of my thought process going into it was just to get, um, just to try to get anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I kind of changed my ideas and my viewpoints a little bit um, as I was researching stuff. And yeah, I started putting a plan together, still reaching out to people, and then kind of started researching like shelters. I didn't have a tent. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. I I had picked up, a, I did have a tent, but I had like a seven pound old North face that I picked up off Facebook marketplace, which was fine to throw on the back of a quad for what I thought was going to be a moose hunt that year. But looking at trying to backpack and we ended up packing in 17 miles. Um, and so looking at that distance and stuff, um, I was started hiking immediately. Um, even in the snow, I was walking around with a pack on, started going to a gym, walking on a treadmill, doing anything I could just walk. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm 5'10", 250 pounds, 240 pounds. I'm not a small guy. Uh, definitely need to lose a little bit of weight. So dropped down to 220 for that hunt. Um, that started in February was like, crap, we got to make some things change. (laughs) So started losing weight, um, trying to really kind of change that. Um, and then just researching the gear. There's so much gear started reaching out to, I, there's a, a uh, small, a local guy, a buddy of mine who, um, uh, James knows. And yep. so he's a very successful sheep hunter. Um, very good at what he, he's a, just a successful hunter trapper grew up in the area. He's, <laughs> he's pretty much absolute monster. He's fantastic. <laughs> you should figure out how to get him on here. One yeah, of these days. I've been trying, um, but he just is, uh, just a, <clears throat> 
killing machine. He is yeah. out here doing all of it. And so I started, I was like, hey, what do you take for your sheep hunts? Because you're very successful and you go out to these places and do this. What do you do? So he like was like, I can give you a basic gear list. And mm-hmm. I was like, perfect. Yeah. That yeah. at least gives me a starting point. And yeah. So I kind of started going down and checking things off that list. Oh, you need trekking poles. All right, perfect. Go get trekking poles. Um, bino harness. I had a bino harness. Oh, I need a rangefinder. I'm going to be needing to know how close I yeah, am to these yeah. freaking sheep. Right. So um, <laughs> started going down that list. And that was probably the toughest part. There were certain things that was really, really tough. Um, my wife had already bought me for that first year we were up here after that moose hunt. She bought me um, a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad and a couple things like that. And I was just like, all right, what I've got is what I'm taking. So mm-hmm. I took the, I had a climate, um, climate zero degree down bag, which is pretty nice. Uh, that's a down bag. And then they're uh, static V insulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sleeping pad, which has been fantastic. I've used that up until this year's hunt. Um, that's what I've used since 2017, I think. Yeah, I've, I've used one of those for about eight years. Yeah, they've been fantastic. Um, uh, both of those. Um, and so kind of started, took those. So I kind of broke down. I had started this little kit and I need to find a better storage system because right now all my hunting stuff gets thrown in the smaller, um, what are they? 20 gallon, 18 gallon totes from Costco. <laughs> yeah. So I've got like five of them in the bottom of my closet. And, uh, yeah. cause I don't have space in my garage. I need I'm to, familiar with the problem. Just, yep. uh, <laughs> so I've got all my stuff. I got a food one. I got a clothed one. I've got all the other random stuff one I've got anyway. And so I just dumped it all out on the floor and was like, um, what do, what do I have that I can use off this guy's list and what can I match and what do I have to get? There's mm. some things, a tent, a pack. I didn't own a frame pack, um, a bow. Uh, my bow that I had at the time was a really old bow that the cam was messed up. I killed a moose with it in town, but it did not shoot accurately past about 30 yards. Um, mm. The arrows were all over the place. I don't know <laughs> if it was me, if it was the the release I had was terrible. Every I got to where I had a really bad flinch because about every third time I'd pull the, I'd go to pull back, my release would just randomly let go go and <laughs> punch myself in the face. Um, so just, it was like, got to redo the Ouch. bow. That was the first thing I was like, need a new bow, need a new release. So went down to Anchorage, um, got a, uh, went down and, uh, to full curl down there, mm-hmm. had uh, Dave Stoddard set me up with a full setup. Um, that was a uh, pretty penny. Um, mm-hmm. but that bow is phenomenal. And I love that Matthews bow. Um, tents. I spent months. My wife finally got to the point where, um, recently in the last couple of weeks, we just started talking about tents again. Cause I just, uh, I just picked up a teepee tent cause I, um, have wanted a teepee ever since I spent time in that wall tent back in 2017. And, uh, I love the idea of the floorless shelter, but I spent about five months looking at tents. And so when I just recently brought up this teepee, my wife just looked at me and said, I don't want to hear anything about tents after last time, <laughs> just buy the teepee and be done with it. <laughs> I was like, okay. So she wasn't quite that bad. But now but you need a stove for it. <laughs> I will. I do need to get a stove for it. That's uh, that's kind of what I'm going to be looking into. But I won't have to talk to her about that one because that's just weight. Um, <laughs> I'll find a price to weight ratio that I'm happy with. And go there you there. go. <laughs> I have looked into it a little bit. And this is, I got to get back over. But um, I do want to, I think I want a U-bottomed one because I've been reading a lot that the U-bottomed stoves, as the fire burns, it pushes all the coals and everything to the center. So mm-hmm. it burns a little longer and a little better. So that's that's mm-hmm. the one thing I know that I want right now. It's okay. And confirm. Yeah. Perfect. Saying, that, that, that's real. That's real. <laughs> um, yeah. But so I, I ended up, um, I'm a pretty brand loyal person. Normally when I prick a brand, I'm a Ford guy. My dad was a Ford guy. My grandpa oh. was a Ford guy. 
And so I'm a pretty brand loyal person. So after jumping through a lot of hoops, I ended up uh, settling on a stone glacier bag. And so I've kind of jumped on the stone glacier train a little bit back in 2020. Um, ended up getting their De Havilland pants that I've been running ever since and love those pants. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, you guys have talked a little bit about them on the show a couple of times. And I've, um, I've found that almost sometimes they're too hot, especially mm-hmm. in those yep. earlier seasons. Mm-hmm. Yep. If it's not cool temperatures and you're moving a lot in those pants, you heat up real quick. Yep. Um, the De Havilland lights are a good middle ground. I've been looking mm-hmm. at those and I've been trying to talk myself into getting them, but I have a problem where I'm a minimalist. I don't like having a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> even like um, I have the last three jackets Stone Glacier's come out with, I have all three black labels and it kind of bothers me that I have three jackets in there that I only wear one at a time. So I'm constantly <laughs> fighting with myself. That is not true at all. You can wear all three of those if it's cold <laughs> enough. It's true. But I, I go through this thing and my wife constantly makes fun of me. She's like, every six months, Tyrell goes through his closet and he just goes, I haven't worn this in six months and I throw it away or I get rid of it in some way, shape or form or <laughs> And uh, huh. so I really yeah. struggle we with. We are very um, different in that. Regard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've got years of stuff. Uh, it's so hard for me. It's like even my. I kind of sounds kind of like a little bit of a knife nerd. My wife's gotten, that way about stuff. Oh, she'll I, just yeah. like. D- d- can I throw this box away? You know what she has to ask now. She's learned. <laughs> well, well, we just won't go into that story. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I just uh, I I don't like having a bunch of stuff just sitting around doing right. nothing. And um, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of stuff, <laughs> and um, I'm just the opposite. I want as little stuff as possible. And so, trying to find stuff to have the right setup. Um, like I said, I bought the De Havilland pants. I looked at some other pants. I've wanted to buy some other pants. I'm a big fan of Black Ovis. I've really wanted to try their Granite Peak pants mm-hmm. and their, gosh, what's the the Cottonwood or something pant that they've got that's yeah. a little bit lighter, kind of like the De Havilland lights. Mm-hmm. Or even try just the De Havilland lights because I do love the Stone Glacier stuff. Um, and But I'm like, I don't really need them. The De Havillands are fine. And if I start getting hot, I just open those vents up all the way and they're mm. so they're so big those vents that you just lose everything they're huge the only problem is like this year on my sheep hunt i was vented because i was sweating and um i stumbled trying to climb a bank and i didn't even realize it but i filled uh, well i filled my pants with mud and rock because <laughs> i had both my rain vents mm. and my de Havilland vents opened and so i scooped all the junk out of my pants but i didn't realize but my rain pants had also gotten full and so it was it was a little bit of a disaster but that's <laughs> That's really the only problem with the really big vents is situations like that or walking through the brush when you're going from open country to brush, open country to brush. I found that I wore, I uh, got a couple of sores on the back of my knee because little leaves and branches kind of had gotten into the vents and I wasn't paying close enough attention and needed to clean those out. But um, love those De Havilland's. But so I I ended up slowly through from February until uh, September, I kind of slowly picked the pieces I needed. I ended up um, getting a full gear kit um, I needed battery banks, had to get an inreach, had to get my bow and arrows set up, was shooting every day. I was shooting 50 to 70 arrows a day. Um, at my house, I got a 3D target because I noticed that shooting at a 3D target made me a little bit more stressed out. And so shooting at mm-hmm. that 3D target just added stress, different angles. And my property, I had, we were on an acre um, here kind of in the outskirts of North Pole in the Badger area. 
and I can get out to 70 yards on my property. Um, I started parking out on the road, standing in the bed of the truck so I could shoot at 80. <laughs> my wife told me that was enough. If I wanted to shoot that far, I needed to find somewhere else. So I wasn't blocking the road. Um, and I decided 70 was far enough. I wasn't planning on shooting a broadhead 70 yards anyway, but um, I was shooting broadheads at, out to 70 regularly mm. leading up to the hunt. But so I just had to go through and find all the kit. And that whole time, uh, Joe Want and Alaska Department of Fishing Game, Joe wants a guide up here a long time successful guide retired now works for fishing game um and he uh does or did i don't know if he still does a sheep university like a one day four hour course i sat through his course talked to the biologist up here talked to the biologist down there i found another podcast that's a, an alaska-based podcast that does a lot of talking about sheep hunting listened to every episode i could find on sheep hunting and during that whole time was shooting my bow trying to work walk every day and kind of revitalize my kit to get it as light as possible mm -hmm. and then i started camping i went out and was like you know what i'm gonna do a bear hunt and i'm gonna go camp and so i camped out um i had to go to anchorage for work and they're like we're gonna book you a hotel room i was like no i'm gonna camp in my dune tent so <laughs> <laughs> camped in my tent and uh like every chance i got i just was pushing myself to do little things we got a jet boil stove um and just tried to utilize those gear got a pair of boots and started putting miles on them immediately mm -hmm. um just trying to see what worked on my feet and just trying to do that and work it as much as possible just because nothing's gonna nothing is going to you can read all you want and it's like not to get off on a crazy tangent, but it's like, I, it always cracks me up reading. Um, I'm involved on a couple of sites online and stuff that I forums that I participate in. And, mm -hmm. um, like you guys kind of were talking about last week with everything, uh, on paper, um, there's a lot of people who have opinions and throw out quote unquote facts mm -hmm. um, as facts, but they don't have any real world experience. Right, They're not right, out here. Right. Like for example, there's a guy, let's say down in, well, we'll say in Anchorage for say who kills one caribou a year. And he's like, this is the best hunting cartridge to do whatever versus our buddy that James and I were talking about. Who's just a monster. <laughs> Whose opinion am I going to take on hunting ammo or right? hunting clothes? Like this guy, when we went on our, uh, our, he was the one who went up the hall road with me to try to get caribou with our bows. And he's out there hunting in these beat up old bunny boots and like a uh, wool, uh, Chris, Christmas sweater, wool Christmas sweater that, like, that would win an ugly sweater contest nice. and then throw in a old King's camo white jacket over the top of it. And he's got snow pants that are black on. And then he's just got Tyvek white pants from work that were going to get thrown away or something that he threw over the top of them. It was just like, he doesn't need all that fancy gear, but he's somebody who's very particular about what he buys. What he buys is, is working and he doesn't uh, and when he has an opinion on, hey, you should do this, I'm like, okay, you should probably do that because dude kills a bunch of stuff every year <laughs> yeah. and has a ton of experience versus a guy who kills one caribou a year. Yeah. So nothing beats that experience of, and that's why I was like, oh, I'm going to go stay in Anchorage for two nights. All right, I'm going to camp in my tent. I'm going to sleep in my sleeping bag. I'm going to test out my jet boy. I'm going to eat out of that. I'm going to eat Mountain House. I'd never really eaten Mountain House before. I'm going to buy a couple of different varieties. Which ones do I like? I was eating Mountain House at the house. My wife thought I was a little crazy. <laughs> um, 
but I had never done any of that. And yeah. so it was a big, yeah. like I was pretty nervous and I knew I had kind of stepped into, I had jumped straight into the deep end of the pool. Mm. Um, and then I, as I realized that I was going to be hiking 17 miles in, as I kind of narrowed down, looking at maps, looking at accounts of where people had gone, looking at, um, I was even talking to Tom about the statistics of where statistically most of the sheep were shot in that hunt over the last like five years to see where most people were going. Cause I wanted to go where there were going to be less people. So if most of the people, like I found at that point in time, this was, you know, three, four years ago, the majority of the sheep for that hunt are shot in the Southern half of that unit. Mm. I was like, I don't want to be in the Southern half. I mm. want to go somewhere mm. else. Yeah. And so, um, just doing all that research and spending that time testing out the gear leading up to that as a newbie who had no idea what I was getting into. Yeah. You got to be obsessed. Yeah. Something yeah. And uh, sheep hunting, I think in and of itself, uh, you can get obsessed without anything. I got a, a, a guy who is pretty obsessed with caribou hunting. He's just loves caribou and nothing against caribou. I love caribou. They're such a cool animal, but, um, sheep hunters definitely have a little bit of a, the, an obsession and everything kind of fixates around that. And so like even talking my buddy, uh, who was my sheep hunting partner for both of these hunts, um, we were talking and like this tent I'm getting, he's like, you know, you could get a tent with a lot more features and a little bit nicer and stuff. And mm. I'm like, no, 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 I need something lighter. And I want something that's going to be good and crazy wind and stuff. And he's like, you know, not everything has to do with sheep hunting. And I was like, man, I, I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> Anything I buy, I need to also be able to think about taking it on a sheep hunt. And it's just the way my brain has worked ever since uh, yeah. kind of jumping into that. But, but yeah, so it all started with those sheep back in Oregon in 20, in 2000, seeing those sheep and then, yeah, just jumping into the deep end of the pool, getting that draw. And so once you had that figured out and you actually got out there, how did that, how did that go as far as that hunt what, was what you expected versus what you found? It was a big learning experience. I'm not, yeah. So I ended up, my buddy that I ended up getting to go with was not, he was like, and this is Eric, if you hear this, I apologize, but I've already told you this. I thought he was the last person on earth who would go on a hunt. Um, <laughs> him and I had been friends for years in Juneau and we never talked about hunting. He never showed any interest in hunting. He had a bear on his wall and, uh, um, he's got a five point elk that he shot, but he was like, yeah, my dad and I went on this trip and it was kind of cool. And, um, but and the Euro mount for that elk is, is in his side room and they're trying to figure out where they want to put it in their house and stuff. But he just, we never talked about it. And I just randomly was like, called him up. My wife was like, Hey, have you talked to Eric? And I was like, Hey Eric, I'm going on this hunt. It's going to be like 10, maybe 12 days. We're going to be backpacking in probably two days, hunting, sleeping in tents. It's probably going to be pretty miserable. Could be nice. Might be snow. Um, this hunt could be all over the place from the records I've seen. It can be everywhere. You want to go? And he's like, when? I was like, October. And he's like, well, that only gives me two months to get ready. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he called me the next day and was like, I ordered rain gear, a backpack, a tent and trekking poles, boots, and like listed off like mm -hmm. $1,500, $2,000 worth of gear that he ordered overnight before he even told me yes. And I was like, okay, so are you, are you, you want to, you want to go, you're, you're interested. And he was like, yeah. So it was wow. a big experience. I found out afterwards, he got his tent, set it up in his yard and slept in it. And that's the first time he'd ever slept in a tent. Wow. Um, so, Whoa. and he was all in. So we went out Whoa. and it was a crazy experience for both of us. We learned a lot. Um, the first night we got out there, we hiked, um, our ride was late. So we were planning on hiking at daylight and we ended up not leaving until like noon. Um, and we hiked 
I think we hiked seven miles that first day. We got out of the rig and made it like 30 minutes down the trail and it started pouring rain. So we had to stop, <laughs> put our rain gear on mm -hmm. and just hike until uh, lunch. We needed to break for lunch and then uh, lost the trail a couple times. Luckily where we were at, there was a semi-established trail for the first, well, there was a really established trail for three miles. And then after that, this trail kind of fades in and out, but there is an established trail out there. And um, we, we, got seven miles and we had calculated when dark was. So we were an hour before dark and I was like, all right, we need to find somewhere to set up camp and hopefully close to water. Mm -hmm. Since we're not hunting here, we hadn't seen any sheep. We'd seen moose. We actually called out a bull, a uh, decent sized bull. And um, he kind of talked with us a little bit. We were grunting at him and I was just mm -hmm. trying it out because I'd never really tried to call moose. I'd heard of people doing it and I'd started a little bit of research into it, but not much. Um, so that was kind of a cool interaction and stuff, yeah. but we camped that night. That was our first night out and it was nice. Um, slept in the tent. We had some trouble pitching our tents in that environment. Like, uh, I can't remember. I don't think anything crazy happened that night. And then we got up, hiked the rest of the way and it was pouring rain again throughout most of that day. And we got to a Creek that, um, on the map didn't really look like a Creek. But when we got there, it was a pretty substantial creek. <laughs> and uh, we had planned on going a couple more miles. So that was at like 15 miles, I think. So we made it seven miles the first day and then the rest of the way. And then um, that night, we got 50 mile an hour winds and driving rain and low ceilings for the next 36 hours. So we were just wow. stuck in our tents. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, we were t messaging each other on the inReach. We were messaging our wives. At one point, uh, my wife messaged me and was like, hey, his wife's curious because she hasn't heard from him in a couple hours. Can you want to go crawl over and make sure he's okay? And I'm like, hey, Eric, Eric, are you over there? Eric. <laughs> no response. So I crawl over there and he was like, had headphones in and was watching a movie or something. And he was like, oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. I was like, oh, no worries. I'm just your wife was worried because you weren't responding. He was like, oh, I didn't even hear my inReach go off. Um, and then that next day when we got up, um, we did our first like hike up onto the mountains and looking, um, we saw some young sheep and that was such a cool trip. We learned a lot. Um, mm. we ended up seeing 50, 60 sheep in mm. the Chugach nice. range down there. We saw some rams, saw ewes and lambs. Um, we got to, I think twice or three times we got to within 300 yards of rams that were most of the ones we saw were younger, mm -hmm. um, half curl, three quarter or, uh, one, one third to half curl, a lot of younger rams. Um, we put a star since I wasn't any ram tag. I, we kind of tried to make some moves on a couple of them, just never quite got worked out. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one night where we put these sheep to bed. We were watching them right up until dark. And I was super excited because the spot they were in, we had been by a couple times. And I was like, that's mm. a spot we can easily strike at. Mm -hmm. And then right before dark, this super cub came in and flew three circles over them at oh. like a hundred feet and spooked oh. them up into the cliffs. And I was so disheartened. Mm. That was like day seven or eight. Um, but we learned a lot. It was a, such a like we'd never been in an experience like that. Never tried to stalk animals like that. Never tried yeah. to work through the country right. like that. Never, yeah. like I said, um, my hunting experience had been pretty limited. Um, and a lot of my stalking and stuff, I'm not the best at stalking and trying to, we, I had a wind indicator, so we were able to check with the wind, um, and try to make sure we were monitoring wind. But other than that, like, and some of that country, it's funny, 
being out there. You look at some of the country and you think it looks like, oh, there's a good slope here. So you're going to be hidden. And then you get over there and you're like, oh, no, we're not hidden. We can still see, I see their eyes. They can definitely see us. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of learning, um, learning curve. Um, we saw one big Ram. We were making a move on three Rams that were kind of laid up on this little pedestal and we were kind of camped, uh, out laying down, um, trying to get our whites on, trying to figure out how to make a move on these sheep or if we should just wait them out. And my buddy is like, oh, what about, what's that sheep over there? And we look and way up on the cliff edge there's even before we put the binos on him i was like he's way bigger than anything else we've mm -hmm. seen and we never saw him again i was like i was keeping an eye out in those cliffs where he disappeared because i was like if he pops out again we're making a move no matter what right um but we kind of going through all the learning we'd done uh found you know a lot of people talk about the patterns of sheep that they come down um during the early mornings they'll be up high they'll come down kind of midday and then they'll drop a little bit lower and then they start working their way up again in the evenings and um so we'd kind of been patterning these sheep and kind of figuring out what they were doing um and the best chance we had was i think the second to last day these sheep dropped down onto this flat and i was like they're gonna drop down they're gonna come down this drainage if we bomb up to the cliffs and we get up here, we have just enough time um, that we'll be able to beat them and meet them there. Mm. And so we did exactly everything I said. We ranged, we got to where I wanted to be. We ranged the drainage where they were going to come up and it was 70 yards across. And I was mm. like, okay, I got my broadheads. I've been shooting regularly at 70. I got pins out or my pins are out to 80. Um, I got a, a three pin with a slider. Mm -hmm. And so I've got my three, my bottom is that pin black is my gold site. No, it's a, uh, Gosh, is it Rocky Mountain Dovetail? It's okay. a little bit cheaper. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the black gold when I was down there. Um, it's been a great site so far. Mm -hmm. um, it was a little more robust. He said it, out of the options when I got it, there was the black gold, and then there's like three or four options below it that were, he was like, these are all about the same. This one seems to be the most robust, though, because it's actually metal. Yeah, I yeah. think it's Rocky Mountain. Um, and so that's the one I picked. And okay. um, so ranged it, was all set. I was like 70 yards. I was like, you know what? I might throw fling an arrow at 70, but they should come inside. So that'll put them at 50 to 60. And so that's right where I wanted to be. And uh, we're sitting there for about five, 10 minutes. And then my buddy taps me on my shoulder and I look at him and he's pointing up the cliff and I look up and those sheep, we must've missed them by 20 minutes. Oh, no kidding. They were sitting up in the rocks, like 200 yards above us, just looking down at us. And I was like, son of a gun. So we sat there and watched them. They watched us for probably 20, 30 minutes. And we we're just sitting there whispering to each other. Is there any way we can try to climb up, back up, get into the cliffs? We're here. Mm. No, there was nothing. So we just watched them. And then uh, the next day we saw no sheep. That was the only day we saw absolutely zero sheep. Mm. And then, um, so the next morning was the last day we needed to get out because he had to catch his flight and we started hiking out. And, um, we ended up making that 17 mile March in one day. Um, we did the oh, whole wow. thing on our way out. We got to the halfway wow. point, <laughs> we got to the halfway point and, uh, we where we camped the first time. And I kind of looked at him and I was like, all right, here's the deal. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, 15 miles. It was 15 miles, not 17. So we did 13 the first day, then two to 15, 15 miles out. Anyway. So we did the 15 miles out in one day. And we got to the halfway point at seven miles and was like, I, was, I looked at him and I was like, we got enough time that if we continue our pace, we'll be hiking the last hour in the dark, but we'll be on an established trail. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that sounds terrible. And I was like, <laughs> and I'll buy you a steak. And he was like, steak and a bourbon and we'll call it good. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> so go. we, we jumped on and we just, we hiked the rest of the way out and, uh, 
it was that last uh, last mile in the dark was <laughs> awful. Uh, we were so tired and we were just stumbling and it was like broken rock, but it was mm-hmm. like just not a flat established trail. It was like, but it maintained. <laughs> yeah. We're stumbling on the rocks. It had started raining again. So we're just slipping, trying to use our trekking poles. We finally got service. Both of our wives wanted to talk. And we were like, this is not a good idea. We need to not be on the phones and use like, we need to focus. Like we're here, but we were just sliding all over the place, but tons of learning, tons of experience. Just even like being out there, we had a grizzly bear come within uh, a grizzly bear and a, a sow and a cub, uh, come within 200 yards of camp. We saw, you guys have kind of talked about how, uh, the moose will group up and yard up. Um, mm-hmm. we saw two bulls and 14 cows grouped up together. We we're watching mm-hmm. them, uh, seeing all the sheep and stuff. It was a really great experience and really kind of, for me, solidified that, uh, you know, coming out, I lost feeling in, uh, three toes for three months. Um, yep. I had, my buddy had multiple blisters. I had massive mm-hmm. knee problems for two months. I still have <laughs> knee problems a little bit every now and then, but yep. for me, it solidified that I was like, I'm doing this again. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so the next year I didn't, I wasn't able to hunt for a variety of reasons. I tried to put together a three, four day hunt and then 2021 and just with me coaching the youth football and stuff, unfortunately, August is the worst time. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest time for me to just get time off to go do yeah. something. There's yeah. so many things happening in August and with having three boys play football and being a coach and being a board member, just that year I was like, it's not going to happen. So I was really disappointed. 2022, I did a a long weekend. I think I did four days, three nights, four days, um, went down into the Alaska range and that was a disaster. Um, (laughs) I made some really good choices and I saw sheep, but everything like I, from the, from the very first day, everything went good the first day. But after that, just little choices that everything just turned just bad decisions. Um, I hiked into the area I wanted to be in and, um, saw some rams, saw a couple of little rams, um, hiked all the way up, got to a point where I, I had hiked this, uh, slope and I got to a point where I was using hands and feet and was kind of a little bit tippy and kind of like looked around at myself and was just like, this is really stupid. Like I got, I'm borderline rock crawl or like rock climbing here. I'm bouldering at this point. And mm-hmm. like, um, I got no restraints. I got my rifle and half my gear on my back and I'm not able to use my trekking poles. I've got them attached to my pack now. And looking back, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to get down at this point. Like, All <laughs> right, we need to get out of here. This is stupid. So I ended up riding the shale down, just uh, kind of sat down on my knee and just rode the shale down, mm-hmm. uh, slowing myself down with my trekking poles because I couldn't get back the way I came up, um, not with my pack on because I couldn't get the footholds right. And uh, so got down to the bottom, uh, hiked in a little bit farther, did a little bit more looking, and then uh, was looking on the Onyx maps and saw that the trail I had rode in on um, my quad into this area, then um, this was just on a harvest ticket. I didn't draw. That mm-hmm. year I drew, what did I draw that year? I drew a moose. What did I draw? Now you're just rubbing it in. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> I don't I drew remember which tag I drew I didn't, that. I, didn't, yeah. I don't remember what I, I drew. I think I've drawn uh, one tag. <laughs> and I didn't get anything on it either. That question is real simple for me. Never drawn anything. <laughs> That's it. I think I've... Gosh, I think I've drawn five Oh, tags. no. Oh, you my, know what? Oh, okay. My. I lied. <laughs> I drew a youth permit. Oh, that's right. For a cow moose. Oh, see? Mm-hmm. I drew it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. I forgot Whatever. about that one. So um, <laughs> I don't count. That. Looking at Onyx, the trail I had been riding in on wrapped around to a river, and there was a defined trail going up the river to the backside of these mountains I was at. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back there. So the next day, I packed up my gear, saw those same sheep. They were in a better area, um, hiked out, got to my quad, and then I hit that trail mm. and um, got stuck three times and then ran into a beaver dam across the trail and I couldn't figure out how to get around the pond. So everything was blocked in. So I decided that I was going to try to go off trail, head for the hills and uh, see if I could get up above like the brush line, which turned into a huge disaster. Um, it's real I got thick th or super thick. Um, I was trying to, it ended up throwing me off the ridge I was on. I rolled the quad down. So then I was just trying to get out. Um, and then I was in the bottom, couldn't climb out because I couldn't get enough uh, momentum mm. and couldn't, uh, there was water everywhere. So mm. I just kept sinking the quad, having to use the winch to pull myself out. And uh, the wires on the winch were uh, not big enough wires. So they ended up catching fire. Um, <laughs> oh. almost, the whole thing, oh. I was leaned over. I had the winch on and I was just yanking on the, the quad as hard as I could trying to pull it out. And I'm just pulling, pulling, and I take this breath and I couldn't breathe and I fell over backwards and just couldn't breathe and was choking and looked and my whole quad is covered in this plume of white smoke. Oh, and I'm just like, really? oh my gosh. And I looked and there was this thin orange line that ran from under the handlebars down up <laughs> under the seat. And I was like, my wire's on fire. So I grabbed it. Luckily I had gloves on and I just grabbed it and yanked it and looked and it was melting through my fuel line. Um, wow. and I pulled the seat cause it's still smoking and the plastic up going into the battery had caught on fire. There were flames <laughs> on the corner of my battery <laughs> and on the plastic. So I blow that out, throw some water on it, sit down, drink some water, eat a little snack. And I'm just sitting there staring at my quad going, that could have gotten really bad real fast. I think that, wow. that tops all my stories. Yeah, it was <laughs> some stories. All my wow. gear was on there. Like I would have lost everything. It would have been <laughs> man, all from an horrible. undersized wire. All because that wire was too small. So, thing to make sure your wires are right. The right sounds side. like yeah. it wasn't wired properly <laughs> because you should not have had high power running off your handlebars on on a on a winch. That's possible. Um, yeah, it should be it was, well. It was through short, a relay. It anything. should be running through a solenoid. That's set, that's mounted somewhere else on your wheeler. It went through a relay. I didn't do it. I mm -hmm. was by the guy who I bought I it from, but yeah. um, it was. He said it went through a relay, and he didn't like the relay because he kept having to replace the fuse. And <laughs> well, there's a reason, <laughs> maybe. And then, but I never had any issues with it. I don't. I owned the quad for a year and a half. I okay. tried to use it for bear baiting and some stuff, and I'd used the winch and stuff before, but never had any issues. But yeah, so yeah, just uh, pretty, wow. pretty so sketchy. What exactly type of four wheeler are we talking about here? I uh, two thousand Yamaha Big Bear four hundred. Hmm. Popular, huh. popular machine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, then I'm winchless. Still stuck. <laughs> so then I spent the rest of the day. I think I got stuck five more times trying to get out. Wow. Um, one time Man. completely, I was coming around and trying to just trying to get out of the bottom. I was like, if I can just get back up on the high ground, I know I can get this thing out of here. And uh, came up and over and there was a bank and um, I couldn't tell it was a bank getting up to it. Or maybe like admittedly i was kind of in a mental place where i was not in the maybe the best frame of mind so maybe not thinking super clearly but i came up and over what i thought was i was climbing up and it turned out it was a bank and there were 
willows that were like uh, or willows or alders that were like eight feet tall flipped the quad completely upside down threw me off i just had my rifle on had to get the quad upright didn't think it was going to start finally got it started again and just kept getting closer and closer and closer to the trail but i just kept getting stuck and i finally i looked down at my phone and i randomly had service and i called my wife and it was like two hours before dark and i just <laughs> let loose <laughs> was unhinged and she just kind of let me go off for a couple minutes and then she kind of very calmly was like all right here's what i need you to do i need you to go back to your quad and i need you to get your backpack with your tent and I need you to go to bed. It's <laughs> like, I'm not going to bed. I got to get this quad to the freaking trail. And she's like, no, she's like, I like, I'm a little worried about you. You are not in a good place mentally. You are definitely a little unhinged and you need to get some sleep. And I was like, fine. So I went, got my tent and hiked over, found a flat spot. First flat spot I could find that was above the water. And, uh, <laughs> set up tent and passed out <laughs> and then woke up the next day and I was just beat to crap. I was so sore from yanking that quad out of all those holes. Mm -hmm. So that killed my hunt. Um, I ended up having to message a couple guys and I had two guys who volunteered to come down and help me pull my quad to the trail. And then my hunt was over. So I spent the next day yeah. in my tent, just kind of looking at the mountains, trying to think about how I could have done things different. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <laughs> I want to go back and hunt that spot, but I'm uh, not, I'm not going to, I'm just going to go to that first spot. And I did find a saddle that I think I could have gone to and hiked up and over into the deeper mountains, mm -hmm. but there were sheep there. So I definitely want to go back and see what I can find um, and see if there's, uh, if there's anything else back up in there. And it's an area that from talking to everybody I've talked to, nobody hunts that area because they all think it's garbage. So good. I'm like, perfect. Good. <laughs> if it's not garbage, <laughs> then I'll be the only person who knows. So, <laughs> right. but well, and that led into putting in for the next draw which was then delta so yeah well let's take a quick break real quick and then we'll we'll get into that one cool all right folks we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope last year i found the solution to that problem with the stealthy hunter rifle cover it wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, so, so you go through all of that, and then... <laughs> so that's so that was two sheep hunts? Yeah. Okay, so you, you went through those two sheep hunts, and then come the start of this year, February comes around. February comes around. You find out you drew another one. I In December, <laughs> I decided I was going you to just, put in for Toke and Delta, and that's it. I was like, all right. And, you know, you guys if you get about, both, there's you a get ton both, of, there's a ton of different uh, um, theories of how to put in. A lot of guys <laughs> like to only put in for one, put all your tickets in one basket. Mm -hmm. or, but I decided to do three and three. So I did three in Toke and three into late Delta. And you pulled both and then picked which one no, you wanted. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun. 
Um, so drew Delta and immediately called my buddy Eric and was like, Hey, I thought I'd give you more than uh, two months heads up this time. How do you feel about going out for attempt number two on a sheep? And he was like, all right, sounds good. Uh, let me talk to the wife and make sure. And it took him three months to finally tell me, yes, I will go. But because he, he had, uh, he had PTSD. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Man, go um, talk to his therapist, work through it, it a little bit. 15 <laughs> miles and we saw nothing. No. So, um, so I immediately, yeah, I kind of started going through my gear again and was like, Hey, what did I, what did I do last time that worked? What did, mm. and I have tried to do that. I, now you had some experience to yeah. fall back on. Yeah. And I've, what I did was, uh, after I got, uh, my buddy's gear list, I put his gear list and I found some other gear lists. Uh, like when I drew that tag, the, the first tag, I got a, a message from the guys at proving trails. Um, I guess they send it out to everybody who wins a sheep tag. Mm -hmm. Um, but on their website, they have their gear lists. Mm. And then I went to a couple of guides and got their gear lists that they just post, hey, for a sheep hunt, this is what we recommend for our gear like uh, right. for our clients. And I put all of those in a, a, a Google Sheets document mm -hmm. online so that I can access it on my phone, my laptop, my work computer, anywhere I'm at, I can access it. And um, then I started putting together my own gear list with my gear and did the same thing. So I mm -hmm. kind of separated it by uh, firearm, uh, what's on my, like my glass glassing stuff. So bino harness and glass and, uh, uh range finder that gear, and then your hiking gear and then my camp and then food and then emergency kit and then kill kit. And so I kind of broke my Excel document down that way. And that way each line item I can put in and await and assign it. And then as I'm kind of going through that, I went through all the formulas, which I'm not a, a wizard. So I had to go look up all those online. Right. pretty easy. <laughs> um, but then I could break it down so I could add the ounces. It would give me the total ounces and then divide that into pounds. Mm. Um, and then so I could get my total pack weight uh -huh. um, and I could see by item. So then I could uh, add an item, take an item out and uh, excuse me, kind of do that whole thing. So mm -hmm. um, kind of broke it down that way. And so then I started going back and saying, hey, what did I have that I liked or I didn't like? For example, my battery bank was a really big heavy duty battery bank. Mm. Um way heavier than what I needed. Um, with some of the newer stuff, I ended up picking up a couple of the, two of the dark Poseidon, um, yeah. uh, or the dark energy. Dark energy. Yeah. Um, I picked up two of those and two of those were still almost half the weight of my other battery bank. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like saved a ton of weight just in doing that. And so little things like that. Um, I had some pointers on the first sheep hunt, a big pointer that I got from, um, my buddy who is the elk guide. He was a big proponent for his favorite, uh, lunch is, uh, peanut butter and, uh, bacon sandwiches, which Ooh. are fantastic. That um, sounds fantastic. They are amazing. <laughs> sounds um, really good right now. It's yeah, lunchtime. I, I know. <laughs> and um, so what I did wrong that time was I brought um, uh, pita bread instead of regular bread. He uh -huh. recommended the thin hard bagels yeah. mm -hmm. um, or the pancakes you can get, like the prepackaged pancakes from Costco. Mm -hmm. um, and then you put uh, just uh, a tub of peanut butter and pre-cooked Kirkland bacon. And then you just slather it on there, hmm. sandwich it up. Another one he that had um, for breakfast, <laughs> so if you hungry. take that bacon, uh, you can rip it up and take a small uh, a freezer or uh, not freezer, um, vacuum sealer bag, uh -huh. mm -hmm. cut them into fours, take uh, two pieces of bacon, rip them in half. You can shove them into a quarter of that bag, vacuum seal it all the way around. And when you make your coffee water in the morning for breakfast, uh -huh. throw that in the water so it boils and you get hot bacon with your uh, breakfast. 
And you rip the little bag open. Wow. You get hot bacon. Oh, is that is hot bacon hack. with your coffee and then your oatmeal. So that's what he, that was, those were his two big hacks for my first sheep hunt. Wow. Take notes, people. That is the big takeaway from this whole episode. <laughs> Tyrell's takeout. <laughs> Mountain food on the go. Warm bacon. That's, uh, that's thanks to Ben in Montana. So, All right. Wow. Um, but uh, those were his two. And so this year I was like, hey, what are some things? And uh, so his big one was he was like, you know, you waste a ton of space with the prepackaging for mountain house yes mm-hmm. so he was like what you need to do is and he's like do you eat a whole mountain house and i was like i do but only because i'm trying to get rid of it generally yeah. i yeah. can eat about two-thirds of one before i start feeling full and he's like perfect take three of them or uh two to mix two of them together so get uh like two stroganoffs and then separate them into three uh ziploc bags and mm. get the yeah. uh freezer Ziploc bags because the freezer bags are actually thick enough that you can pour the boiling water in them and they won't melt. Gotcha. And so yeah. you, really, um, so what they would do is take the cup or they would take their, like a, a little a small lightweight bowl and they would throw the, um, the water in, but they repackage all their freeze dried meals hmm. and it saved so much weight and space. I was shocked. Uh, so the backpack I have, um, is the sky guide, the stone glacier sky guide. Is and it the 7,900? Yep. The 7, yeah, I've got, I've got that one too. And so when we did our sheep hunt in 2020, that bag was maxed. Um, really? I had it a hundred percent maxed. My, uh, my food was the, uh, I bought for no real reason, but I wanted it. I bought the stone glacier load cell uh-huh. and that was full just of the 12 days of food that we brought really with all the mountain house and everything. That's a big bag. Yeah. And so for 12 days, that's what I had a, a, a breakfast and a dinner for every day. And then we had lunch stuff. And that was one of the big things I learned on each of the hunts is I've cut down on how much food I bring. Mm-hmm. I found that um, everyone told me, oh, you're going to need to eat 4,000 calories. Like I l- was watching um, Jason Harrison's videos from Kuyu when he used to do those, yeah. um, watch some yeah. of his old videos and talking about food and stuff. And they all, all those guys in those videos talk about eating 3,000 to 4,000 calories a day. So I brought that in 2020, 3,300 to 3,500 calories a day, way too much food. Yeah. yeah, we ended up throwing uh, food in the uh, what we couldn't eat. We either threw in the creek, um, like chips and stuff that would uh, dissolve mm-hmm. um, anything we could. We were just trying to ditch it at various right, points. Yeah. Um, or I was like, I don't even want to eat this meal, but I'm going to eat it so it's not in my bag anymore. <laughs> right. And so yeah. just trying to get rid of it. And so we repackaged everything, and that was a huge space saving. Specifically, mm. we did ten days worth of food in two. 10 liter roll bags. Wow. Um, and that was uh, one for breakfast and dinner and one for lunches. And we both did that. Uh, my buddy has uh, Eric. He's got these uh, REI. They got a flat bottom. They're not mm-hmm. technically a waterproof, but mm-hmm. they're uh, they are a waterproof uh, roll top mm. uh, water bag. Um, okay. And so we packed in two of those. And the last time he had packed one for lunch, one for dinner, one for snacks. Yeah. And so we had like just space and weight. Um, so that was huge this year learning. There's all sorts of little ticks, trips, ticks, tips and tricks. tricks, Thank you. Um, to, for like that, like the bacon, uh, in the morning, super delicious, Mm -hmm. uh, repackaging all the mountain house or freeze dried meals into Ziplocs was huge. So what'd you eat for breakfast every day? Uh, this year I had a bunch of the Heather's choice, Mm -hmm. uh, meals. I had the apple, um, 
Uh, Is it the apple, apple pie strudel or something it's like apple that? It's apple pie, banana something, and strawberry oatmeal. Okay. And so I ate those um, every day. So I you- actually preferred the bacon and oatmeal just straight instant oatmeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not. The Heather's Choice were not bad, um, but I did. Definitely but for preferred. thirteen bucks a pop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I got <laughs> right. lucky because I had I knew uh, I knew somebody who had a stack of them, and they were just like, "We're not going to eat these. Do you want them?" And I was like, "Sure, I'll try them." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, at thirteen dollars a pop, I would r- much rather do the bacon and um, Quakers Instant. Quakers yeah. Instant. And I'm <laughs> a big, my favorite I'm a, breakfast yeah. cheap I'm, hunting. I'm a big fan of the. Uh, I'll do the apple and then a uh, the brown sugar, and I'll one, mix those. One of each. Yep. All four. Yep. Oh, there you go. All mm-hmm. four apples oh. and cinnamon. Um, uh, the brown sugar, the maple. Br- yeah, brown sugar, maple, blueberry. And then the strawberry one. And then if you go big and you have the peaches and cream. Just mix all five of them Then you go five packs a day. Oh, there you go. See, I just do two (laughs) packs, but then I do the bacon. And that, yeah, well, to your point, (laughs) yeah, for sure. But at one point I took oatmeal. I, I had enough at minimum to have three packs a day, but I also took spam. Mm. Okay. And that was my meat for the morning. Yep. You know, yeah. spam, for those that don't know, is stuff posing as meat. And <laughs> yes. it, it even has jelly on it. So yeah. that, that's your, that's your oh, fruit gosh. content. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> but that works really well for me. Like yeah. Quaker's mm. oatmeal is just, that just hits the Do spot. the bacon it's, next time. Though. It's fast. Oh, yeah. I'm oh, definitely yeah, that's, doing that's that. That's locked in. Absolutely. That's locked in. <laughs> I am bought and sold on that. So then what about lunches? So lunches uh, this year. Um, lunches decided, or snacks between breakfast so and dinner, I, I should say. I, I really this year went with protein bars. Uh-huh. Um, I Talking with a the same guy we keep talking mm-hmm. about. Um, he, I asked him, I was like, what do you do? Because his pack is super light. And uh-huh. he, like for a four or five day hunt, he, he takes nothing, but he'll have hot drinks. So he brings a cup and his jet boil. But all of the food he eats is protein bars, mm. just mm. bars of one sort or another. So I was like, I'm going to try that, see what I think of that. So this year I brought um, the Fit Crunch bars from Costco, which if you're looking for a protein bar, those Fit Crunch bars are by far, I think, the best. Um, my protein bars are really good, probably as good, but they're like three times the money and you can't get them at Costco. Um, so those, but they don't have that grainy, gritty protein. Yeah. Nastiness. That's the biggest thing that turns people off to them. So the fit crunch bars are only 190 calories. They taste like a candy bar and they are, they've got, um, I think it's like 12 grams of protein or 15 grams of protein. It's pretty high for as small as they are and as delicious as they are. So I brought those, uh, two other types of protein bars that I don't remember didn't they weren't great enough to do that anything um when i was doing my research back in 2020 uh jason harrison of uh, kuyu founder was a big proponent of um the uh, fritos and mm. i love fritos yeah. for weight yeah. to calorie ratio they're mm-hmm. about as good as you can get so i'm a big fan of uh, uh fritos so i brought fritos and then this time i did a mix of fritos and cheetos so um and then um So what I kind of did was the last time I did the peanut butter and bacon sandwiches on bread and I brought, um, uh, peanut M&Ms trail mix and jerky for every day. Okay. Just a small amount of each one. Um, but that was, and that's was lunch. So this year I did like two protein bars, um, a small bag of Fritos, a small bag of trail mix, and then a uh, small candy. This year I did the uh, those Tropic Frogs from mm. Costco, which are 
fantastic. <laughs> and they're slightly sour, which Forget is gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> tropical gummy frogs. Delicious. That's funny. They were, but they're really good. Um, and so that, and so I just did kind of more of a snack thing this year so yep. that I could kind of, uh, bounce around. And I definitely think that's the way I'm probably going to go more in the future. I really liked the bacon, uh, peanut butter breakfast lunches were fantastic and really good. Mm-hmm. But I really liked that if I eat breakfast and even today, like I find that I normally, especially since I'm trying to lose weight, I really only eat one meal a day. Um, and part of that's because I'm trying to lose weight. Um, cause even though, uh, obviously I've had a successful sheep hunt. I don't want to be the fat sheep hunter. I'll, I'll I want to <laughs> take like take a little less weight off my knees and uh, go go in a little thinner um, and be able to hike a little faster. But um, I here at home, I've been eating a lot less um, in trying to help myself lose weight. And so I found that this year for that sheep hunt, I was less hungry and especially forcing myself to eat a breakfast, which I normally don't eat here. I I'll drink like two or three coffees before noon and then I'll drink generally one in the afternoon and I'll have a small lunch and a dinner or I'll eat a big lunch and a small dinner. Um, and I found that on the sheep hunt, forcing myself to eat breakfast, like it was hard to eat lunch. Mm -hmm. I was just not very hungry. And so I liked having, if I'm going to be forcing myself to eat breakfast every day to get everything energized, to have the energy to go climb if I need to climb, then I think that having the protein bars and the snacks and stuff worked really well for me. So I'll probably do that in the yeah. future. Yeah. My buddy was kind of the opposite. Um, he definitely wanted, um, if I remember, Eric really was like, yeah, I wish I would have had more like of a sit down lunch. Mm. Um, and so it's going to be kind of everybody to their yeah, own, yeah. Well, their it, own feelings. It, yeah. It's something you got to figure out for yourself. Absolutely. Cause, cause I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are. Um, and I figured it out just trial and error, you know, during the day. And, it, and this actually translates to any style of hunt, whether I'm, I'm walking or on a wheeler or on a boat or anything is during the day, I'm not focused on eating. I'm not focused on my next meal. I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on hunting. And so I might have a couple minutes here and there where I think, oh, you know, I could go for a, a jerky stick or something like that, yeah. or I could go for a protein bar, or I could go for something like that. But I only eat when I'm in camp, really, like like dedicated meals. Yeah. So breakfast and dinner, I'll eat full <laughs> meals. But like other than that, I'm kind of the same way. I just snack. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll take a couple bites here. Yeah. Keep and, and even if I'm not doing anything, if I'm just sitting on a on a hillside glassing or something like that, I'm still focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I just I don't really think to actually stop and make a whole well and if i i found that i am i am uh twitchy enough or whatever i don't even know what to call it but i can't sit still very long Mm. without something to do so like for me if we're going to be sitting in glass and for a long period of time i bring sunflower seeds yeah uh, because i have to have something to do so i'll eat sunflower seeds and which is another thing that kind of kills my appetite during the middle of the day Mm -hmm. i'm sitting there we're glassing for two hours and i'm sitting there and i eat 12 handfuls of small handfuls of sunflower seeds. And so that just kind of drops that off. Same thing. Like if I'm, excuse me, um, if I'm driving and I'm tired, sunflower seeds, I mm-hmm. always have sunflower seeds with me almost because if I get tired, I, that little bit of cracking the sunflower seed and picking that, uh, the seed out and eating it just helps me stay awake. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm the exact same way as far as the food regimen goes for sheep hunting. I, I'll eat, I'll try to eat a morning breakfast, you know, if, if I don't have to be up and moving on a ram right away. But if I have the time, you know, oatmeal, some kind of meat, cup of coffee, and then it's go. And then I don't really stop 
for the purpose of eating at all during the day. Unless I'm on a long march somewhere, when I feel myself get tired, then I'll stop, eat a bar, drink a half Nalgene of water, power on. Mm. And I'll, I'll go through three or four bars in a day, whether it's Snickers. I, I Personally, I love Snickers on sheep hunts. I don't eat sense. candy at home. I just don't. I can't stand it, really. High chews. I really want to. I'm a high huge, chews are high great. Chew guy, high chews are I good. really yeah. am thinking next year for my kind of that snack, I yeah. think I'm going to do a bunch of high chews. Yeah. So mm. here's a question, bringing up the Nalgene thing, and this is something I've been struggling with um, every, every year, and I keep going back and forth, back and forth. I've been using a water bladder, uh-huh. a three-liter platypus with the hose, yeah. and I really like that system, but it's such a pain in the butt to refill. <laughs> do you do... Um, do you just take an algene? Cause that's what I was kind of considering no. for this next year. Do you take a bladder and an algene then, or I take a MSR dromedary. Okay. And an algene. Usually I'll take, um, I, I've, I, I've got a cup that is way too heavy for sheep hunting. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a little Yeti handle, um, you know, hot, cold cup, whatever it is. It's got Not the little magnetic deal. top. Yeah, my wife bought it for me from Summit Coffee Shop. Nice. It's got their little logo on it. Yeah. Um, but I, so I take that so Summit I can have my Summit. hot drinks. Yeah. Summit at the Summit. <laughs> um, but so, so that, you know, that, that, that's for my hot drinks. I, I don't usually bring any kind of uh, extracurricular like silverware and stuff like that. So I, I, I'm, I'm very minimal if I can. I'll bring like a little stainless pot and I'll make my oatmeal or whatever kind of meat in there and I'll just eat it right out of that. I, I don't have plates and bowls and things like that. Okay. Um, but for, for the water situation, um, usually I'll have my one and a half liter Nalgene. It, it's, it's a bigger than normal one. The 48 ounce. Yeah. yeah that's the one. Yeah. yeah, I think so. It's, it's about that tall. Yeah. It's, yep. it's huge. Um, but I, I've always got that. And then, Sometimes I will bring another one liter Nalgene, just just a standard one, and I'll have that like on my hip belt. That's the one that I just drink out of throughout the day. The one and a half liter is usually like a reserve. Like if I'm out of water in my six liter MSR dromedary bladder, and I'm out of water in my one liter drinking water, then I know I've always got a liter and a half in the lid of my pack. Gotcha. That's like I can stop make a mountain house meal and camp for the night and get something to drink Yep, and get through the next day on a liter and a half of water get to water. Yeah. Or at least make it to water with what I've got left. Yeah. What about Mariah or James? What do you guys do for water on a more of a backpack trip than a, uh, than a quad? Yeah, I haven't, uh, gone on any like very long backpack hunts where I've really had to worry about water personally. So I can't really answer that question. Yeah, and gotcha. I'm kind of the same deal. I, I, gotcha. I, I'm, I'll go back into areas, but I'm almost always within, a, I'd say, several miles of my wheeler. Gotcha. So, so when I hunt in country where I have to stay high, I bring another bladder. Yeah. yeah. I used to bring two platypus, two platypus bladders. I had one that had like the zip top, and it mm-hmm. kind of carried like an old, um, like an old suitcase bag. Yep. And that worked until it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We all know where that's going. Yep. That, that little Ziploc top blew out and leaked however much water that stupid thing held. Mm-hmm. It had a nice nozzle that, that, that was like a little twist cap on the end. Mm. So it was great to fill it because you just zip open the top of it and then just scoop it in the creek or the puddle and boom, you're full. 
Yeah. Yep. Bladders kind of suck to fill because you have to have another bottle to fill up the bottle first and then pour that in the bladder. Yep. Because it's very hard to get running water to fill up a bladder, let alone a stagnant mountain puddle. Right. You know, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, several times I've taken my little uh, Yeti uh, Rambler cup or whatever that thing is called. And I'll fill up a six liter bladder with just that little cup, yep. just one cup at a time. Cause that's all I can fit in that little puddle. That's what we and did I, this year. And I'm getting water out of that. Yep. <laughs> a lot of times I'm taking a trekking pole on a rock and like digging it deeper yep. and then let the mud settle. And then I'm dipping out of it. Yeah. Um, but if, but if I know that I'm going into terrain where I've got the possibility of staying, of having to stay high to be where the sheep are and not being able to hunt from the bottom up, then I'll bring another four liters of water. Yep. In, uh, in another one of those MSR dromedaries. Those things are tough as nails. That's so in 2020, we doing a bunch of the research we did. See, and this is another one of those things that's kind of funny because in 2020, we bought, we, at first, I didn't know whether we, I was going to be by myself or if I was going with somebody. So we ended up going in with two tents, two water filters, two jet boils, two of everything. Cause instead yeah. of at the end, what I should have done is been like, Hey, what are you bringing? You're bringing a water filter. Okay. I'm not going to bring mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to bring a backup just because we'd never done it before. So this year I was like, Hey, here's the deal. Are you bringing your water filter or are you, or are we bringing mine? <laughs> and yeah, so there yeah, was some yeah. of that stuff that we just were like, all right, we're only going to bring one. I remember some and, of those texts going back and, and forth. And I, I did end up bringing a water filter because talking to my, our buddy, um, James, the guy, James and I know he told me about his water filter that I'll mention here in a minute, um, which was way lighter and I like way better. Um, but so in 2020, we'd talking to everybody we talked to, they were like, don't get a pump because the glacier silt will plug those up super fast. So we decided mm-hmm. not to get pumps. So we got grass gravity filters. Well, the gravity filters are really slow and you do have to back flush them. And so Did we you get figured like out how to Sawyer do it. you get Sawyer one or something? No, I got the platypus. Platypus makes a, uh, um, a gravity fill and it comes in a kit with a, um, or a gravity filter. It comes with a two liter bag, dirty bag and a two liter clean bag. Okay. And then a hose for each. And then it's just an inline filter. So you, when you pack it, you got the filter that's about six, uh, it's a little bit smaller than, well, it's probably like the size of a 12 inch, uh, or a 12 ounce ounce, uh, Red Bull can. Okay. A little smaller than that. Pretty light. And then you hook, uh, your clean water up to one side, dirty water up to the other, hook them up to the bags, just hang it and it'll, uh, filter uh, hmm. like that. And then he got the MSR version of the same thing. Um, I don't remember what the MSR one is, but it's got a little hand pump. So if it starts to fail, you can actually physically pump the water through, but it oh. is pretty difficult. And hmm. this year we actually had a lot of problems with his filter. Um, we figured out after he got home, he figured out what we were doing wrong, but we could not get it to back flush properly. Uh-huh. And so it, we never got it to clean. So it was filtering super, super slow this year. Um, but we went with the, the water filtration. And so in that year we carried, I carried two water bladders and he carried uh, two water bladders. He had a 10 liter that he used just at camp. He was like, all right, this is going to be our base camp water. And then he carried two liters a day, but he only drinks like a liter and a half a day. I tend to drink a lot of water. I actually, this year specifically preparing for the sheep hunt, I started cutting back my water intake um, because I will drink a gallon of water a day, easy. Um, and so when you're in an area where we didn't know what the water situation was gonna be like, our initial plan was to hike in about seven miles um, into the Delta country. Um, 
and high and camp up high. And so we were like, Hey, let's, um, let's take your 10 liter and your two liter. And I'm going to bring, I have two, three liters, um, plus my clean and dirty bag for the, um, the filter. And he had a clean and a dirty bag for his filter. And then I bought, um, a Catadyne B free filter, which mm-hmm. I will definitely, that's the way I'm going for water filtration from now on, even though it only does one liter at a time, it's way faster than the gravity feed mm-hmm. and it compacts way smaller and you can carry two of them. They're super lightweight. The two of those, um, are lighter than my platypus, uh, kit. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> um, what's nice about it is like the way, um, my buddy does it is he carries two because he carries one that he uses. And so that one, obviously, if you're getting in freezing temperatures, you got to put in your sleeping bag so it doesn't freeze and break your filter. Mm-hmm. But the other one, he just keeps as a backup just in case something happens to that one. So it just stays in his, in his ditty bag. Um, and so for a ditty bag for anybody who uh, doesn't, isn't a, for uh, familiar with that term, it's a bag that backpackers just have to throw all their random stuff in. It's got all <laughs> your ditties in it, whatever that means. Um, but it's just got all your odds and ends. I got different names for mine. <laughs> yeah, right. I get the point. <laughs> um, but so that Catadine B free is definitely the way I'm going to go in the future. Um, and that's ended up, we ended up using that a little bit on this hunt because the first place we camped, um, like you were talking about, we found this one little little trickle of water. I dug it out with my hand and then there was constantly mud and gunk flowing through it. So mm. it was clogging his filter up constantly and it was a huge pain. We ended up using, he's got a Tokes, uh, 700 liter pot cup combo that comes with the, the, the cup, the lid and a little bag. <laughs> we ended up using the storage bag for that as a filter to get the gunk out so that it was small enough that it would filter through the filter. <laughs> um, but so doing that was, there was a lot of little things that we did different like that, like, um, changing filters, only bringing one of everything except tents. He said he refused to sleep in a two person tent with me. So he did two, <laughs> two tents. Um, doesn't like you that much. Doesn't huh? like me that much. He said he loved me like a brother, but not like, not, not, not that much. So, um, we, uh, so yeah, we, the time for the, uh, went through the rest of the gear kind of just like that. And what can we upgrade talking to people, talking to you guys? Cause at that point I'd met uh, Dalton and James now. And so kind of talking to Dalton, since you've done some more sheep hunting and stuff about some your views on a couple of things. And like one of the things that was really helpful talking to you is I had my layering system wrong. Um, I was planning on wearing my stone glacier, uh, light hoodie. And then I was just going to bring a, um, my rain jacket and my, my down layer, um, or puffy layer. And you were like, well, where's that mid layer? And I'm so glad I talked to you about that because I have the, um, kind of the one you were talking about the, from, uh, Barney sports chalet, the frontier gear. Yep. Um, uh, but I've got the wool version. So it's called the woolly mammoth. And yep. I lived in that thing. That's I what I spent really 90% of my time in. I yeah. freaking love that thing. Yeah. And that is what I lived in. Um, my buddy was constantly putting his puffy on and I just, I was in that wool quarter zip and on over the top of that wool, uh, stone glacier base layer, Mm -hmm. um, or hoodie, whatever they call it. And, uh, yeah, I just lived in that thing. And I, I was so glad I talked to you and you were like, Hey, you're kind of missing that mid layer hoodie level. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'll just throw that back in. Cause I was going to cut it just trying to save weight. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, with all everything packed this year, I cut, uh, I took 12 rounds of ammo was all 12 rounds of ammo. Um, I upgraded my spotting scope. I had like a 67, no, 67 
ounce spotting scope. I had the Vortex Razor HD 20 to 60 by 80, and that was just too much weight. So I ended up this year, my one of my big expenses was I bought the Suaro 20 to 60 by 60, saved like two pounds just in spotting scope. Shoof. Um, <laughs> so it was expensive, but um, definitely worth the weight and the clarity. Um, but just upgrading little things like that, I was able to save quite a bit of weight. Um, I think in 2020, we weighed my pack the right before we left the hotel, and I was at like 70 five pounds, 73 pounds, something like that. And this mm -hmm. year before water, I was at, um, f gosh, I should have looked. I don't remember. I think it was 55. Wow. 60, that's a lot of weight. Right, that's right awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> was way happier with that going in. 10 days of food. Yep. 10 days of food. all your gear. Well, 11 days of food. Cause we brought an extra day just cause I've heard too many horror stories smart. about people running yeah. smart food. Yeah. <laughs> your own tent. My your sleeping bag. My sleeping bag. The yeah. spotter. I carried the spotter, the tripod, the rifle, the ammo. Um, That's including rifle weight? No, that was not including my rifle. Gonna Everything say, but the holy smokes. <laughs> I think I was at I think I was at 65 with the rifle cuz that my sorry, my rifle is uh um I think it's 7 pounds. Yeah. Maybe seven and a half with the okay. bipod and everything. And it's actually probably lighter than that now because it was seven and a half with a uh, just a generic Allen's bipod and I, I upgraded mm. to a Spartan Precision. So nice. Yeah. It's um, a good upgrade right there. Yeah. yeah. I actually feel bad. My buddy let me borrow his Spartan Precision because he was like, you're not taking that Allen up on sheep country. And I was like, well, that's all I got. And he was like, here, borrow my Spartan. And uh, on our way down from having shot the sheep, it fell out of my pocket. So I had to buy <laughs> oh. him one. And since I bought him one, I was like, all right, I'm just going to buy myself one. <laughs> So, I bought two. My well, spotter is a 20 to 60 by 80 Swaro mm -hmm. angled, and it's 48.3 ounces. Yeah. I got the yeah. 20 to 60 by 60 straight. Yeah. I kind of, I'm on the fence on if I should have got the angled or not. I My first angled, one was angled, but, my yeah. Vortex, but that Vortex was like 70 ounces. It was all a seven. Really? Yeah. That Man. Vortex Razor HD. Mm. It's heavy. I feel like mine is a boat anchor. Like, it, it's a big spotter. It's a, well, and they're just... They're just kind of such a big, awkward thing, no matter what. And that 80 is just such a big diameter sticking. No matter where you put it, it's just a big, awkward shape but, that you got to fit somewhere. But gotta I, have I have been in cheap situations where I've been awfully glad that I've had that 20 to 60 with the 80 millimeter oh, objective yeah. for light. It mm. It is a noticeable difference for at least for me. It's a noticeable difference when compared to like the 60 or 65 mil objectives. And yeah. some of these guys now, you know, Vortex just came out with their new compact spotters that are like a 12 to 30 or something like that by 50. They're, I don't remember. They're something super like that, yeah. tiny. Is that what they're mm. trying to compete with the new Swaro that came out? The, the 15 new, to 40? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. But I almost the, got that one, the but Vortex I really wanted one, the 60. The Vortex one is like $1,000 at Sportsman's, oh, wow. maybe even a little bit less. It, it, it would fit on this laptop screen. Like yeah. It's, it's small. Yeah. Um, but you don't get the resolution. Obviously, the zoom isn't there, but that's even zoom aside, it's just not going to get you the clarity that you need in the low light situations. Absolutely. You know, in sheep country, well, now you know you've done it a couple of times. There's a lot of flat light situations. Yeah. There's a lot of time when it's just gray or overcast or kind of misty and you're trying to look at a ram a couple of miles away. And the ultimate question is not even if he's legal or not, but 
the first question you always ask yourself on a distant ram is, is he worth me expending enough energy to get close enough to judge him yeah. for, for legality? Mm-hmm. And just that first look of, you know, at three miles, how much mass does he have? Like, is that a potentially big ram that yeah. I should go check yeah. out? And just saving you those miles and that energy, because that's ultimately what's going to suck Absolutely. out the time of your hunt. No. But, yeah, it's interesting that that one's that heavy that you mentioned. Yeah. So we... Um, Got around, got our gear dialed in. He flew in from Juno, and uh, so we went, drove to. In the process of trying to figuring everything out, I was planning on walking in, but um, I had gotten a tip from um, another person that we know um, about an area where he had seen a sheep previously. Um, and we don't need to be quite as secretive with the Delta just because it's a draw hunt, but I'm not going to name drop anything. Yeah. Just because yes. of general principle. Because we might draw next year. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. You guys got to come and talk to me. Uh, but so um, I was looking at that and I was just like, man, it is going to take all of two days to get back where we want to go. And talking with people more and more, um, I started calling around, gosh, in April and May and uh, to all the outfitters that were flying and everybody was like, oh, we're booked, we're booked, we're booked, we're booked. And then randomly somebody recommended a small company uh, out of Delta and um, gave them a call and huge shout out to Jim Cummings at the the Golden Eagle Outfitter. They were fantastic to work with and they were like, yeah, we can can work with you. We got some space. And uh, talking to him, they're struggling a little bit just because he said they're not seeing the number of sheep hunters because of low sheep numbers, but also they used to fly people out for the Macomb caribou herd and the the moose out there. And he just said they're not seeing the bookings they've seen historically. They're actually doing more business up in Kotzebue now where they fly half the year. Yeah. Wow. Um, But fantastic uh very reasonable um we showed up uh, on monday to go out and they were also flying out a group of hunters for a toke hunt um to a, a close by airstrip and um we kind of talked back and forth and we kind of hung out for the day bad weather we got weathered in that day so that monday we just kind of hung out in delta which really stunk because granite view wasn't even open <laughs> um, and so and we missed the bison diner and we found oh no we uh, that day we were i was like oh for lunch we'll go to the bison diner and uh they were closed that was the day they closed that's when oh, you just get in the truck and drive to like, fast eddies <laughs> just, like, just go to fast just, eddies just, yeah where's just, fast eddies at toke You've never oh, been to Fast no, Eddie's? I've never been to Fast Eddie's. Oh, bro. Oh, oh, oh. Some of the best French fries in, in Alaska. Oh. And, it, and they've got a it really is, good It burger. is the best pre or post hunting yeah. restaurant destination in the fast entire story? state. I love Fast Eddie's. Dalton, you and I went on the 40 mile down there off the Taylor. Yeah. A few years ago, successfully. A, a number of years ago. That was in your old red truck. Yes, it was. Yep. And right uh, before I blew the, up the oil pump. Was it the red say you, Ford F-150? You're <laughs> the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was Dalton. <laughs> no, and to give that, to give that story We got to delete context. this whole episode now. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm looking forward to telling this story. Uh, somebody drove a red F-150 <laughs> off of the road 
off after caribou into the hillside and ended up getting into some steep stuff and couldn't get the truck out ended up getting it helicoptered out i believe i think they had the helicopter is that how they got it out yeah Yeah. i I think the only way (laughs) it was out there for weeks oh yeah everybody that went caribou hunting came back and posted on the 40 mile uh, facebook page (laughs) whose truck is that just sitting out there (laughs) that was not my truck i had a 2006 gm that was a half ton chevy red truck yeah all right, so red truck and all that, but my fast daddy's story. Mm-hmm. We were on our way back from that trip, successful trip. We yep. killed a caribou. That was a crazy trip, but it worked <laughs> out great. Um, one day, we left at like 6 a.m. Well, like 4. 4, was it? Yeah. it? It's a long drive. We were in Delta by 6. Okay, that sounds right. And uh, yeah, we, were on, we were on the Taylor in the dark. Yeah. That's right. And uh, we didn't eat on the way out. Everything was closed, which is probably a good thing. We didn't eat. Um, we had <laughs> snacks or whatever, but... Um, anyhow, on the way back, we stopped into Toke. Fast Eddie's was open. We stopped in to eat and I had a bowl of soup and I said, don't eat a big meal. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm eating a, he got a big old burger and whole meal. And <laughs> like, How do you not eat a big meal at Fast Eddie's? Come on. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I hadn't been there in like When a I year. have a trip or a road trip, I'm always conscious of these things. Yeah. And like, I knew we had hours. And so when I saw him eating that, I was like, I'm eating a bowl of soup. Mm-hmm. Because, and sure enough, like hour and a half later, he pulls over and goes, man, you got to drive. I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Anyway, that's great story. food. I'll have to drive. Great food fast if you're ever through there. Yeah. So we killed the day you know, on Monday. Um, and then that night he was like, well, you got a couple options. You can sleep on our floor. And I was like, we live in North Pole. And he's like, or you can just drive home and sleep in your bed. <laughs> and I was like, we'll do that. So we drove home, uh, went out and got some food that night and uh, hung out with uh, the wife and kids and um, got up in the morning early again. And he wanted us back by like eight o'clock, I think. So, I mean, not that early, but um, left, the, left the house at six, left, just left everything packed in the car. Weather was great. So we got there, um, dropped our gear with him, and then he had us drive to a airstrip closer to the other side. In the process of preparing for the trip, one of the things uh, we found that most people and the majority of sheep on that hunt are harvested kind of on that um, more eastern side. So again, me being me and I like making things more difficult on myself because I'm a sheep hunter apparently and sheep hunters just hate themselves. <laughs> so I really wanted to go hunt on the West side where we were hopefully going to see a lot less people. Um, so that was our plan, even though there were sheep numbers were down and sheep harvest from that side was non-existent and nobody was reported as hunting on the West side. That's, or I'm sorry. No, most of the sheep are harvested from the West. We were hunting the East. I got that backwards in my head. So yeah, I was going to say, that uh, most of them bad. are harvested on the West and the North side. We wanted to hunt the East where there was going to be less people. So that's what we did. Um, so we drove out to the airstrip where he picked us up. He took our gear out, dropped it off, came back, picked up my buddy in the super cub, um, took him out and then came back, picked me up and then took me out and dropped me off, um, on the airstrip and was like, here you go, have fun head that direction and took off. So we got our packs on, got everything going. Um, and it was a mile and a half to the ridge where we were primarily going to then drop into, um, thousand, I think it was a 700 or a thousand feet of elevation gain and to the top of the ridge. And then that dropped into the drainage we were going to. So we got up to the top and, uh, you know, that first day is always awful. It's funny. Mm. It's, it's, 
funny. I've talked to a lot, actually, several people, and I think this is a, a big thing that people don't understand, or I don't know, maybe it's a mindset, and maybe that's kind of what separates certain people from the others. But I've talked to a lot of people who they go out to do a big sheep hunt or any kind of a big backpack hunt. And I've got one guy in particular that like his words and his story just sticks with me really well. And he was like, he really wanted to do a sheep hunt. And so he hiked for an hour and was just feeling awful and miserable and felt terrible. His legs hurt, his back hurt. He was out of breath. And so he was like, I can't do this. I'm not in good enough shape. So he turned around and within 15 minutes, he started to feel better. And he hiked all the way back to his truck. And he was like, oh man, it's only because I went back to my truck. Well, the fact of the matter is if he would have turned around and kept hiking, he still would have felt better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just pushing through that first right. initial. And it's for like that for me every day. We did uh, ADAC a couple years ago. And every day when we'd leave the truck, the first 30, 45 minutes sucks. It's mm-hmm. terrible. I'm always like, I hate this. Why do I do this? <laughs> yeah. Like this is just moronic. Why do I like to do this to myself? But you push through it and then you're fine. Yeah. And so we push through through that first, you know, we get up to the ridge top and I'm like, all right, I'm starting to finally feel better. So I'm like, all right, well, this is the drainage and there's another drainage over there. And I was like, I bet you there's sheep on that. So we sit down to take a quick snack, drink some water. And there's seven, eight rams across. We would have had to cross that drainage, climb the next ridge and drop the next drainage and climb that ridge. So Mm -hmm. there are two drainages away. And, but there's I, even in my spotter initially, I was like, there's a couple of decent looking sheep out there. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's some good looking rams. So my buddy Eric was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. So we look at the drainage we're in and on these, let's see, the would be the, that drainage mostly runs east, west. So I'll call it the south side and the north side. The south side, we didn't see any sheep. The north side, we saw a couple of rams. He saw three right away. I saw two more. Mm. And uh, so we were kind of glassed. They all looked pretty small. And I was like, let's just kind of watch what everybody does here and kind of see where everything's moving. We know that sheep kind of have some patterns. They tend to run. Let's see. Now that we've got two drainages, we can see sheep in. Let's just sit and watch. So we're sitting and watching, take a little nap in the sun because it was nice that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, just keep watching the sheep. And um, we saw that group as it was starting to get dark my buddy was like are we just going to camp here and I was like I think so let's camp here tonight like I know we didn't make it very far we only made it like a mile and a half Mm -hmm. mile and three quarters but we're seeing sheep let's sit here and kind of try to take some stock of the situation and about that time I was watching those group of eight rams and they kind of disappeared and then all of a sudden seven of them just came bolting back up and they Mm. stopped up above a couple hundred feet and looked down and I was looking I was like that biggest ram is gone that one that you could see was the biggest and I was like there's a hunter in there and my buddy's like are you sure and I was like there's gotta be he's like we didn't hear a shot I was like those sheep are scared. They're climbing up. And by this time they've now climbed multiple times and they're getting out of Dodge. Mm. I was like, there's somebody and they just shot that ram in there. Um, and so that night we camped, got up in the morning and we're like, well, we're definitely not going to cross drainages now. Let's keep working the way up, which was our initial plan. There was a saddle seven miles up this drainage that I specifically wanted to get to this saddle. And so we started booking it and uh, just going and we made a, a couple mistakes. The alders are alders are terrible. Alders are the worst. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we ended up, it was really strange. We, uh, there were these really significant cliffs where the the water was draining down. So like one spot we were like, we're going to go way up high above the alders, but we couldn't see there looked like there was just this little drainage where the Creek was coming out. Well, we got to it and it was like a, 
probably a hundred foot cliff, oh, just wow. sheer cliff up yeah. high where we were up above the tree line. And we were like, well, crap, we got to drop all the way down. Everything we just climbed. Yeah. We're going to have to drop down this drainage, get into the alders, fight through the alders. Um, <laughs> so we ended up doing that twice over two drainages where we cl- tried to climb above the alders, had to drop down into them. And then we finally hit a moose trail. So we found the moose trail and we're like, perfect. We're going to stay on this moose trail no matter what. (laughs) So, and during this time, we're kind of watching the North side and we're seeing a few more sheep. Um, and so we saw two rams that were kind of down at the very end of our vision on the North. And, um, one of them looked like he was pretty good. So we were, and I'm using my spotter. I, one of the things I had upgraded besides my spotting scope, I had got that 20 to 60 Swarovski, uh, STS we were talking about, but I also got the Olin magnetic, uh, yeah. Did you, did you, did you after that thing is amazing. Yeah, and I, I would say like, there's a mag view and there's an Olin and for anybody looking for something like that. And if you're considering it, get the Olin and get into digiscoping. Cause that is huge, especially for those sheep. It made it so nice to be able to just slap my phone up there. Um, speaking of that one other warning for anybody, um, <laughs> when you're checking your gear, and you're going through everything before you leave on a big trip. Also make sure that your uh, phone cord isn't broken because otherwise <laughs> oh. you buy two ah. really expensive uh, battery banks. You get a, you even buy an inexpensive uh, used solar panel, get out there. You use 40% of your battery on the first day and then find out that your charger doesn't work. So <laughs> bring it back up and make sure your charger works before you leave. But so <laughs> I had 60% of the battery for nine days. <laughs> and wow. so I was trying Whoa. to limit my phone usage as much as possible. And your so, friend had an Android or something? Yep. He yeah. runs an Android, so <laughs> no. And I was he normally carries a bunch of little doodads anyway. And I was like, hey, I know you got a lightning, uh, an iPhone converter. And he's like, no, I no, <laughs> I don't have anything for Apple. You suck. I'm like, uh, shut up. All right. Well, you know, I guess that's got to agree with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, <sighs> no phone, um, after that, basically. So I was limiting my phone use, uh, disconnected the Bluetooth to my, uh, in reach so that yeah. it was just, my in reach was running on its own. My in reach. Now all of a sudden I could use my in reach as much as I wanted. So I updated the tracking, was texting my wife quite a bit because I had two whole, uh, I had 20,000 milliamps of uh, charge <laughs> for my in reach. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that night we saw that Ram and we were kind of watching as he was working, he was working up the drainage towards us as we were work or down the drainage and we were working up the drainage towards them. So we were kind of headed to where we were going to cross. And then, so we got to where we were pretty close to them and the light was dimming. So I watched him and I put him to bed. Um, and they looked decent, but we didn't get a good enough view, but I got pictures and videos of him that night. And I was trying to look at it on my phone without using too much battery. And, um, but I thought he was close. And then the next morning we got up and it was raining, but we started hiking anyway. Uh, my buddy's sleeping in an MSR two man tent. It's not the hubba hubba. It's a more of a mountaineering style. And then I've got the stone glacier, uh, skyscraper two um, bomb proof tent. I've been super happy mm. with that. It's been fantastic. Yeah, those are good tents. Um, and so I, um, we pushed up in through the rain, put it through our rain gear on and we were glassing these two Rams and I was trying to decide if it was worth getting my phone back out and turning it on and using more battery to try to get a better look at them or not. When my buddy was like, Hey, I think there's another sheep down where we first saw those two on the point. So excuse me, look down and uh, sure enough, there's this solo Ram and I look at him and I was like, I'm pretty sure he's bigger. Like he looks bigger. His bases look bigger. The top, the crown, that top Mm -hmm. third of his horn just looks bigger. Mm -hmm. So we 
he was like, it's kind of up to you. So we made the judgment call and we pushed up, uh, we had to cross, I think two or three more of those little stupid drainages. Luckily, none of those were really steep. Like the first two we came across. Um, and then we dropped down to the Creek and, uh, crossed, figured out a way to ford the Creek. Um, it wasn't terrible. It was about knee deep. We got a little bit wet. Um, that was where I had forgot to treat my shoes before we left. And that was where my nice crispy brick stalls uh no, lost their waterproofing which is mm. my fault because i uh didn't treat them before we left uh, but uh my feet were soaked um my boots were wet the rest of the trip so oh, it is man. what it is um but so we crossed the creek and kind of got up into position where we were under the point that he was on and that night we watched him um Gosh, he came within like right around dark. He was at 800, 700 yards Mm. and kind of like something you guys have talked about and people talk about, right? It's the biggest scary factor is, is he legal? Is he full curl? And I couldn't, I was not comfortable enough. And I watched, I've spent so many hours trying to count rings on pictures and watching videos of sheep and looking at sheep and constantly counting rings. But being out there, I had no idea. I couldn't see a ton of his rings. And a lot of people said the Alaska sheep, their rings generally stand out more because their horns are a little lighter, which his horns are a little bit lighter in color, but his rings just were not that dark. Mm. And so I was looking at him, looking at him and he kept turning his head and he'd give me a view because he was uh, broomed on his right and so I was just looking at his left side and he kept giving me these views and it was, it, it was a ton of fun. Like, I don't know. There's something about sheep. I was just fascinated. I was super happy just sitting there watching him mm-hmm. through the spotting scope and the binos and then on my phone. But at the same time, the entire time I was doing that, I was trying to get that view to mm-hmm. verify full curl. Right. So we watched him and watched him and I kept, he'd turn his head and I'm like, that's full curl. That's a circle, right? Or am I making it a circle? Is it an egg? <laughs> like, is it slightly out trap or a, a, a elliptical? Mm. Like, is it an ellipsis? <laughs> like, what am I doing? Having my buddy look and he's like, dude, I'm not the sheep guy. I haven't been studying horns. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, hey, I need a little confirmation. Is this a circle or not? And so we just kind of kept going back and forth. Back and, and how forth. far away was he at this point? We're between, I think that started, we were 12 to 800 yards. Um, and I was just trying to play it cautious. I didn't want to be the guy who came in with a sheep that was a 16th. And I know that after the last couple of years, they've been really cracking down on people. Yeah. And I pro- like, I honestly probably would have been a safer person because this would have been my first sheep. Yeah. I would have been super yeah. close, but I still didn't want that. I try to just like with that moose we talked about earlier, I try to be that more cautious person and try to be a little bit more. Better, I'd rather play it safe. Yeah. It's better to err on that yeah. side. I'm yeah. trying to err on the side of doing what's right and doing, yeah. you know, being a little more That's cautious. the right thing to do. And so I just wanted confirmation. And so we're looking and we're looking and then we put him to bed that night and I was, I was convinced 95% I was just like, I just want one really good view to do the stick test, which for the stick test, for those who um, aren't sheep hunters, the stick test is where a sheep is looking at you or it's best to do it when they're looking at you. You want the base of the horn to be in about the center of the circle. So you have equal amounts above and below the um, the base of the horn, and then you can draw a line, which the new iPhones make that super convenient because you can superpose, superimpose a ruler on top of. Um, and if the tip of the horn comes above that line, then there's like a 95, 99% chance he's full curl. Um, very, very high chance. So I really just wanted that view. 
and I, he, I wasn't getting it, wasn't getting it. So the next day we got up and, um, booked up through the willows, got up to where he had been. And we stayed a couple hundred yards below that, but, um, we got to within probably, I mean, where he dropped down to, we were at the same level. So we, we, um, I think we were, we climbed 900 feet, something like that. I don't remember. Um, but so we got up to that level and we couldn't find him. He was mm. just gone. So we were looking and we kind of crossed out into where we had seen. He started to head uh, the same direction as all the other sheep, which would have been kind of to the the east. And so we crossed the hillside up high and found a rock and kind of bunched down behind this rock. And we were there for an hour and a half, just sitting there with the wind ripping around us. Um, I will say that is the one thing I do not like about the De Havilland pants is they are not very windproof. Mm. I wish they were a little bit more windproof because mm. my buddy was sitting there. He had the Kuyu attack pants on and the wind wasn't cutting through his Kuyu attack pants at all, or he's got a much higher tolerance than I do. I don't know, <laughs> but I was getting cold from the wind cutting through those pants. And so mm. I ended up putting my rain gear on just to yeah. stop the wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we sat there for an hour and a half, I want to say. And then we were like, all right, well, he's not here. Let's back, drop it back, back down to the lower bench and then find him. We dropped down and my buddy goes, oh, there he is. It was like the right 200 yards down the cliff there or the hillside. There was another little point and he was on the other side of that point. So <laughs> we were like 250 yards from him. And I was like, son of a gun. So we run down and we're trying to stay low in the tree line and we get to, we're probably 500 yards away. And I go, I'm going to pull out the spotter and really get a good look at him. And my, mm-hmm. my Eric goes, no, he's like, are you going to shoot from here? And I was like, no, I want to be within 400 yards. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to be around 300. And he was like, well then let's sneak to 300 because yeah. there's no reason for us to stop twice and unload our gear. So let's get yeah. to where you want to, where you're comfortable shooting, then we'll pull the spotter out. And I was yeah. like, okay. So we keep going up, following the tree line, trying to stay between. There was a section there where we were able to luckily stay out of the alders because the spruce and the alders kind of grew up next to each other and kind of created this nice little path. So we were skirting the the spruce until we hit the bottom of the slide he was on. And then we crawled up or we walked up that, but bent over really low, as low as we could to the rocks. And I got to 300 yards. So then we pulled everything out and I told my buddy, I was like, I, you know, if we get within 400 yards and I pull my rifle off the backpack, that's going to be the hardest thing I've ever do is put that <laughs> rifle back on the pack. And right. Away from this. Like, <laughs> right. This has been so many hours over the last four and a half, five years of just obsessing over sheep horn and what to do and just everything. And that was sheep horn. Yeah. Just, just to be clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> just so much time and stuff. I was like, man, this is going to be so hard. So, we get there and I'm taking a couple of videos with my phone and he just gives me the perfect look. He's looks like this majestic mountain monarch that he is. He's just looking around and he just looks straight across the valley at the perfect angle. And I'm like, that's the shot. And I've got a video. And I think in the very end of the video, you hear me go, that was it. And then the video cuts off <laughs> and I uh, zoomed in, put a, the stick test on him and everything was perfectly lined up. And I looked at my buddy and goes, that tips above the line. Right. And he goes, yeah. And I was like, this is going to happen. And he said, my face just went completely flat, lost all emotion and just lost everything. And just completely flat. I turned around, picked my rifle up, laid down in the rocks 
and uh, I the where I was, I couldn't quite get steady, so I pushed the rock up a little bit and mm-hmm. uh, just laid down as flat as I could, nestled in on that thing. I handed in my rangefinder as I was getting in position. I was like, how far is he? And he said 290 and my brain wouldn't work. I had my, uh, on my phone, I had my dope, uh, dope card as my background. Mm -hmm. So I could just hit it and see, (laughs) and he told me 290 and I was looking at it and I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I can't figure out how many clicks I'm supposed to be. (laughs) So I unlocked my phone, opened the shooter app, went to 290 and did solution instead of the chart. I did solution and it was like, I don't remember. It was like uh, nine clicks or something like that. So I'm like nine clicks. I counted them as I'm spinning the CDS and I settled down into it and I just started breathing. And I was like, just remember, just breathe calm, squeeze the trigger, just breathe. And so I was just breathing and just slowly squeeze in. And, uh, I was watching him move and then he was stopped and I was just squeezing the trigger and then the gun went off and it's got a break on it and we're laying in the rocks. So I immediately lost all sound. Yep. <laughs> so couldn't hear anything, but rack the bolt and my rifle currently with the break it's got on it, it jumps a uh, hard 45, uh, up and to the right. And so I jumped. And so I immediately racked the next round in, get back down and I'm trying to find him in the scope. And I see he's ran to the left and he's just now standing on this pinnacle and just proud as day and I just centered it on his chest and about that time I heard my buddy go shoot him shoot him again 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 <laughs> and I'm like boom and then he just rolled tumbled down and uh, I couldn't hear anything my buddy was talking there. Mm-hmm. the video he's like all excited and he's like he's like are you are you happy because I was just totally flat and I just stood up and then uh, I said a little prayer said thanks and that uh, was just like yeah <laughs> we did it and uh man the adrenaline rush at that point i was just like through the moon and uh and so then we got to do the 300 yard crawl up through the rock uh it was a pretty steep climb uh get up there confirm that he was dead and then he was there and about halfway up there i had an adrenaline crash and it was so tough to get like that last 150 (laughs) yards like all the adrenaline was gone and everything i was hyped up on was just gone but we got up there and i was still like everybody talks about being super nervous until you like confirm and I'm looking at him and I'm like gosh he's full curl but um, I was still nervous until fishing game we got him uh, checked out and they they said he was full curl so I felt good at <laughs> oh, that yeah, then yeah. I was he's, finally confident but until then full curl yeah. until then I was just so nervous I was like oh my gosh what if I screwed something up but so he was he was beautiful um, gosh, how old did he end so up cool. being he was seven years uh, he was 36 on his long side and 13 inch bases 13 oh. and on one side 13 even and the other side was 12 and 5 eighths. so yeah wow. he was just 30 on that side so he broke about six inches off and he's super cool lots of character that side that's full curl he's starting to fray where he started to break that horn off mm-hmm. and it's just there it's such a unique experience and i don't know I, I i understand it's not for everybody but man just sheep being up there watching him being in that country like we got back process that sheep out and my buddy Eric was like all right well unless somebody else magically puts me in for a draw I don't know if I'm ever going to sheep hunt again <laughs> and I was like really really and he was like yeah I got my fix like I was with you we did it and we showed we could do it and that's a really tough thing not a lot of people do like there's a lot of hunters who have gone on more than four hunts who have not killed a sheep oh yeah there's a lot of people who have spent more time than we have who haven't killed a sheep and I was there when you did it and I think we did a really good job but I don't have that drive are you going back out and I was like absolutely like even if yeah. <laughs> in 2024, if we're doing a moose hunt or a caribou hunt for you and that's what we're doing, 
I'll at least be spending a long weekend in the mountains. I don't know. There's something about being up there. I've always loved mountains and that's probably the only really disappointing thing, I guess, about being in Fairbanks is there are no mountains here. Right. You're so far away. We're in those flats and I love the mountains. I love being in the mountains and there's just something special about being up there and watching the sheep. They're just so cool and majestic. So Mm -hmm. he was beautiful. We packed him out that night. Well, that night we, it was super dark. It It was like 30 minutes before dark. So we gutted him, left him up there, went down. The next day, um, we went up and got him, brought him back to camp. And then the next day it just poured rain. So we sat in our individual tents and talked, yelled at each other across. Now that we didn't have to be quiet anymore. We just yelled at each other as we're processing out caribou. I accidentally lost a game bag because we were cutting the meat on the game bags. And I went to go throw the fat and the bones in the river. And uh, so I hooked the string of the game bag around my finger. And then I went to throw it so the meat would stick. <laughs> and it just came right off my finger. Oh, no. <laughs> there went $20. <laughs> Frickin' game bags. Um, game bags are expensive. Um, so we processed the processed amount, and then the next day uh, we were looking at the weather, and in two days there was going to be a break in the weather. So that would have been getting us out a day early. Um, the day after was really bad and then that day or the next day was supposed to be bad. So we were like, you know what, let's just, we're going to make this in a day. We're get up in the morning and we're going to get out. So that's what we did. And that was a miserable, miserable day. I think my pack was at least a hundred pounds coming out, Mm. especially it rained all day. It rained, then sleeted and then rained and sleeted Mm. and snowed and rained fighting through the alders. And we just kept having to. We'd go through, you'd climb up into the like low red, uh, they're not the blueberry bushes, but the low red bushes. Mm -hmm. And then you'd go through the yellow birch or willows, whatever they are that are up to your shoulders. And then you'd have to drop down these steep banks into the alders and then cross the creek or the dry creek bed and then fight back up through the alders. And there was a couple times we probably should have turned around and done some things a little different, but we ended up uh, making or just fighting our way through. There was a couple times we had to, I was pulling myself up by my arm, my hands up the alder banks because mm. we couldn't walk. And so we were basically just pulling ourselves up like we were pulling ourselves yeah, up a rope. That's a lot of work. So we got to where we stayed the first night and I was done. Uh, I was totally dead, but I had said we, I wanted to be at the airstrip that night. So my buddy was like, I think we can make it. Do you think we can make it? And I was like, probably a really bad idea, but let's look, go look. And when I, as soon as I took a step forward, I knew that we were like, it was too late. I should have stopped right then and there. And I should have said, no, I need to sleep. I need to rest. But I walked over to the edge and he was like, he was like, see the airstrip's right over there. We're only a mile and a half away. Remember? And I was like, I, he, he didn't know this, but in my head, I as soon as I took that step, we were committed. Yeah. And so we went on, like we were downhill only 50 feet, but I was like, I'm not taking another step uphill. <laughs> Mentally, I was done. So we went down and that was, it was rough. I should not have done that last push. Um, we had to stop a couple of times on the mountain uh, for me to just take a break. He was doing all right, but I was just, I'd been breaking brush the whole trip. I led the way. So I was way wetter than he was. I was completely mm-hmm. soaked, saturated completely through my gear. Um, when we got to camp that night, I dumped out a cup of water out of each of my boots and we didn't cross a Creek really like just, I was soaked. I was exhausted. I couldn't eat too. That was a really weird thing. The last two nights for dinner, I tried to eat the, um, I had, uh, I didn't have mountain house. What did I have? I had, uh, I had a different brand, um, backcountry pantry Mm -hmm. and, um, 
I couldn't eat them. I, and I've mm. eaten backcountry pantry before. I actually think they're really good generally, but I take like two bites and I just get nauseous and almost want to hurl. <laughs> and so mm. it was very weird. So those last two nights I didn't eat. And I think that was probably the biggest factor more than anything else on why right. I got. So I was just yeah totally toasted that day. Yeah. So got to, we finally made it. It was past dark. We had to find the last little bit of our way in the dark. And, uh, I, I was so exhausted. I just, uh, I've set up that stone glacier tent. Luckily I've set it up enough times now that I don't even barely have to think about it. I, so it popped up super fast. I stripped down and, uh, um, unrolled my sleeping pad, unrolled my sleeping bag. So they'd start fluffing up and I just stripped down and I got in my, uh, I've got the stone glacier Grumman uh, jacket and pants. I mm-hmm. climbed into those, climbed into that sleeping bag. And, uh, Eric said, I, he, I was snoring in like 30 seconds. He said, I climbed <laughs> wow. in that thing and it was just out. Yeah. And, um, he was like, Hey, do you want some water? Do you need some, do you need food? Are, are you <laughs> not going to answer? All right. I'm going to go get water. Mm-hmm. So he set his tent up in the rain and then, uh, he went and got water. And about the time he came back, I'd been asleep. I think an hour, he said, and uh, I kind of woke up and he was like, Hey, you want to, I'm going to make dinner. You want to eat anything? And I was like, no, and he's like, you have to eat something. And I was like, in my pack, I was just reached out and I was like, I have a granola bar in my bag. I'll eat that. And he's like, I got water. Do you need water? And I pulled my water bladder out and uh, I had uh, just a tiny bit of water left. And I was like, I'm going to need a little water. So he like threw the clean water bag <laughs> under, under my, into my vestibule. So I filled up my, put like a liter of water in my bladder and forced myself to eat that bar. And then in the morning, um, and then I slept, I just slept all night in the morning. I got up and then, uh, talking about like you guys were talking about the Merino a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. I've got the stone glacier t-shirt and the, uh, that hooded quarter zip. Yeah. I threw that t-shirt up and I was really surprised cause everything, there was a gentle breeze, uh, through the trees there. And I threw that, uh, shirt up as we were packing up and then, uh, I was starting to get hot cause I was moving around and <laughs> wearing just my down. And, um, so I was, I threw that up over my trekking poles mm-hmm. and about five, 10 minutes later I walked over there and it was dry mm, and, wow. um, just with that little bit of breeze. And I was like, Oh, I should have slept in this last night. Cause it would have pushed yeah. that moisture yeah. out. I should have Absolutely. just left a layer or two on. Yeah. So again, another learning experience, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you no, know, it was a great trip. First Ram, I went and took it to, I'm going to do a pedestal wall mount, mm-hmm. um, getting that done by skip out there yeah. in Salcha. So yeah. not a lot of people know about him anymore. So hopefully he doesn't mind me name dropping him. Um, <laughs> he's been doing sheep for 58 years though. So wow. Wow, that's pretty cool. Man, yeah, oh, man. I, I heard he's cutting back a little bit. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He said he's just doing sheep and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. He's not doing anything else anymore. Yeah. He does really awesome. good work. Yeah, I'm well, excited. Hey, hey, congratulations, man. Thank That's, you. Yeah. Sounds like a <laughs> that was one heck of a journey. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's been awesome. And I definitely, you asked earlier if I planned on doing it again. And yes, mm-hmm. I don't need to necessarily be the guy who's shooting one every year, but I definitely want to be out in the mountains every year. Yeah. So. There you go. Yeah, there it's a go. ton of fun. Yeah, that's that's a great story. <laughs> it's neat so, because you've been in touch with, with us here for a while and, you know, went out and met up a few times you and me and and uh, and James and another one of our friends and uh yeah talking a lot about cheap hunting and tips and tactics and mm-hmm. gear and do I try this or do I buy that and to see it all come together is pretty satisfying yeah. I yeah. I I know what that feels like I, I remember my well my only ram that I've shot for myself was just it and I was by myself but that moment when you walk up to them and lay hands on those horns and realize that you've accomplished that 
there's no other feeling in hunting that I've ever had. Yeah. Like that. I, I would just say one different. other tip for anybody else who's in that situation is I did not take enough pictures. Yeah. I did not. We probably took 30 pictures total. And I was talking to somebody else who, uh, um, has been with people and he was like, I take at least a hundred pictures every time. He's like, I take so many pictures. Like you feel it's dumb doing it at the moment, mm -hmm. but now that we're gone and like, I forgot to have my buddy Eric in the picture with me. Like mm -hmm. we were just, it yeah. was getting close to dark and stuff. Right. And we got back and like the first thing I did was I went to post it in the sheep hunting group that I on Facebook and stuff. And not the first thing, but a couple <laughs> days later, I, uh, I was going to post it on there cause I was just so excited. I needed to share it with somebody and most people don't get it. So I needed to like communicate with some people who'd get it. And, uh, the first thing I thought of when I put, when, to, when I went to post that was like, I don't have a picture of me and Eric with the sheep together on the mountain. And I was yeah. like, I really, I really frustrated with myself that I didn't do that, but obviously not enough to taint a bad or to make it a bad memory or anything, but just, I really wish I would have gotten more yeah. pictures. Yeah. So anybody who's sure. in that situation, when you're in that trophy situation or that once in a lifetime, which hopefully will not be a once in a lifetime, <laughs> yeah. right? but make sure you get some good pictures and make sure you're happy with what you got. We're only going to do yeah. it first once. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. I, um, I know you've, you've listened to the, all the episodes, you've heard the story, but when I shot a moose that was, it wasn't full curl, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you talked about the adrenaline drop about halfway up. Well, I got the adrenaline drop when I um, pulled the tape. Yeah. Uh, when, I, when I saw the moose, because I, when I got close, I knew it was too small. But all that aside, I took one picture to send to the troopers. And that's all I took. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, because I was, more upset with myself you yep. probably can imagine what that would feel oh, like yeah. can you, you know i didn't work as hard for that moose as you worked for that sheep but i worked hard for it i worked Absolutely. years hunting that area looking for a big moose and uh anyhow and now it's like especially because you know i didn't tell anybody that story for like a year you yeah. know a few people close friends and stuff but yeah. and i was like you know i'm gonna tell this story because there's a lot that can be learned yeah. from it and uh and now i wish i had those pictures like i could have mm -hmm. taken pictures with it like there's nothing there's nothing against you can shoot an illegal animal and take pictures like <laughs> right show up. This is the sheep I got. Right. <laughs> right. Don't shoot an illegal sheep. Yeah. But they always, don't confiscate the pictures. <laughs> right. Right. They don't take the picture. And but it's a memory and it's a it, learning experience. Exactly. And like now you've got that thing that you are telling people about. And especially right. now that you guys have this platform where you're using it. I mean, you could have, yeah, if you had more pictures, you could be like, look right. at this moose, look at like, and like talking about the method I would have used to measure him. You could be like, Hey, look, this is check right. it out. Ch mm -hmm. Try that uh, technique against that and see if it would have failed you or not. And you yeah, know, right. and you're going to show that to other people and be like, Hey, this is why you need, um, you need to have that, but you yeah, just I look have, at it and guess, which is what I did. Tons of pictures of the sheep that we never shot. Like just even some yeah. of that stuff, just some of that stuff is just cool to have. Even if you're just like all like when I was uh, doing some studying and stuff for this and like trying to prepare myself mentally for sheep hunting. Sometimes I would just like, especially like at work or stuff, I put all those pictures are on a Google. Um, I use Google for a lot of things, but um, the Google photo drive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would mm -hmm. just go in there and I've got a folder in there with all those sheep pictures, all the sheep pictures I've taken. And I'll just go in through those. And sometimes I would just go look through those sheep pictures and just mentally think about what we were getting ready to do. Mentally think about what we're, what we went through already, the different trips I've been on, everything that I've done. 
and just kind of like mentally checking that. And even like for moose and stuff, like, I, I don't know, it's, it, we all visualize and kind of mentally prepare in different ways. Right. And having those pictures is a way to be able to not just share that, but to kind of mentally like going into a moose hunt. That's something for me. I'd be looking at a, a moose that I shot that was sublegal. I'd be looking at yeah. it going, <laughs> Don't do that again. Oh yeah. Don't ever do that again. Look at that moose. Memorize how he looks and what you screwed up and like just mentally beating myself up into over your it. Brain. Yeah, just sear it in. I think the one thing about my sheep hunt that that I did um a few years ago now for myself on that solo hunt was I had looked at a lot of sheep. I'd been in sheep country before. I had uh I had picked out the spot and I'd been in there before. I had seen the ram that I ended up killing. Nice. Um, but <laughs> when I walked in there, I, uh, uh, how, how do I say it? The, the reality set in. When I started walking from, uh, from my start point, mm-hmm. it hit me. And about halfway up the mountain, I, all I could think about was, what am I doing? Like it, 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 it wasn't the physical aspect of it. I was in good shape. I had been exercising. Like I said, I had been in a lot of different sheep areas that summer looking at rams and deciding, all right, do I want to hunt this one or that one? Yeah. I had more than one picked out that I, that I could shoot, but the reality set in, you know, and this was before even it was open season, you know, I, it, this was before the opening day of sheep, but that mindset you know, sure, it it all sounds good, and you talk about it, and you talk about it, and you post about it, and you ask people questions about it, and interact with other hunters, and you can have all the head knowledge in the world, but that first couple of hours, yeah, mm. I felt sick. Oh, it's like, the worst. I felt sick. Yeah. I, I I didn't lose my breakfast, but I wanted to. Oh yeah, I, I stopped several times and thought, all right, I just got to make myself just get sick because I, I just mm. I felt sick. Yeah. Huh. And I thought, when we man, did. it's something wrong. And then after I got up the mountain, started seeing sheep, I thought, all right, I'm here. It's time to, all right, just get over that. This is this is not the time to be nervous. You know, I, it's not even open yet. I can't think about this right now. I got to get to, I got to get up and over this valley and yeah. through the saddle and into the sheep country that I want to, that I want to hunt where this ram is. But yeah, that, that feeling, I've, you don't get that with anything else. At, at least I don't. Yeah. I don't get nervous going moose hunting. I don't get nervous going brown bear hunting, caribou hunting, deer hunting, whatever. I mean, I, I I get excited and I anticipate it, but sheep hunting is just a different thing. And that and that first one, that that's that's what I mean here. The first one, you always have that nerve. At least I did. I know a lot of other guys that yeah, that their first sheep hunt, there's just that bundle of nerves, and you don't get that on the second, third, fourth, fifth time. It, yeah. It's not there because no. now you've done it. Yeah. But that first experience is just something that I'll never forget. Well, I think for a lot of people, like that whole concept of being so far away from everything, right? Like sheep hunting, like kind of like what you guys were saying, James and Mariah, you're like, oh, or a couple hours from the quad, generally Mm. speaking, like we can get there. Like most of these times with sheep hunting, you're like, oh, you're a day's hike away, minimum. And so that whole idea of like being that remote, yeah, it is kind of like, and it's funny, like growing up where I grew up, um, we didn't, I never, we had bears, but nobody ever talked about bears. We had cougars. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, oh, it's cougars freak me out way more than bears. But like, it's funny listening to you guys talk about bears because of your comfort level with them. I haven't interacted with bears that much. So they definitely make me a lot more nervous than you guys, <laughs> but even like, but 
I'm not as nervous as I was about cougars, but even just going out, like specifically targeting bears. Like the first time I went out targeting bears, like I was like, I've never done this before. What am I doing? Like, (laughs) what do I do? Like, okay, we're sleeping with the rifle in the sleeping bag, just in case, like you're on top of me. We're (laughs) snuggling all night. Cause if I hear a noise, I'm sitting up and I'm going to be asking questions and then pulling triggers. So anyway, I started Um, blasting. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm just like, it's funny because there's these different levels of comfort, but you got to always start from somewhere and that first time when you you experience that unknown and for Mm -hmm. a lot of people you know that remote with that little access especially in today's society where we all walk around with our cell phones and even to the point where like the in reach i text my wife all all the time and i love being able to share my adventures with my wife and kind of share with her what i'm doing throughout the day and kind of communicate with her i talk to her a lot more than most of the people i hunt with i talk to my wife quite a bit we text off and on throughout the day um but still being that remote and stuff, it just messes with a lot of people. They're not yeah. mentally, it is a, it is a hurdle for yeah. sure. And then the physical, like, like we were saying earlier, every single time I hike, doesn't matter what I'm doing. Like when we did ADAC, um, we did ADAC a couple of years ago and every day you're driving to a point and then you're hiking from there. And that first like 30, 45 minutes sucks just mm-hmm. every single time that yeah. I, my hips burn, my legs burn, my back burns, my shoulders don't feel good. And then you get through that point. And like, for me, the mental space I get into is I'm just like, it's going to happen. Get over it. I put my head down. Yeah. I put my, I, I, I use trekking poles and I just like hammer the ground with my yeah. trekking poles. Until your arms get sore. Until my arms start hurting. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll like, yeah. I'm like, oh, my legs, my legs aren't hurting anymore. I guess I can <laughs> yeah. relax on my yeah. arms a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, the I just thing. keep going. Yeah. And like, um, there's some people who just, they, that's for them. They can't, they don't push through that and yeah. you have to. And for me, at least it's every single hike I've ever been on has yeah. that first sucky period. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your, uh, now that you've got this first Ram, what are your next goals? What are your, so I told my wife, I'm going to start putting in for draws for the stone sheep hunts. Cause Mm. once I get a stone sheep now, then I, you know, since those are 70 to a hundred grand now, once I win one, then Mm -hmm. I'll be halfway to a grand slam. So that's my (laughs) unofficial goal. Not really, but I did tell her I'm going to start putting in for some stone sheep hunts. No, uh, Eric really wants a moose and his wife loves moose meat. So we're, our goal this year is to try to get him a moose. And then, um, I will plan on being in the mountains every year. Um, even yeah. if it's just for a three, four day weekend, I would prefer as long as possible. Like I said, limited time off with only three weeks and only mm-hmm. eight days, seven to eight days being able to dedicate to hunting most years. Mm-hmm. I really have to be careful how I split that time, but I do plan on taking some time to sheep hunt every year. Uh, moving forward and uh, trying to learn some spots. And there's guys who have spots they go to every year. And even if there's not a legal sheep this year, if that lamb or ram live, well, if that lamb lives for seven (laughs) to eight years, he'll be legal. Um, But like trying to just push that and trying to find some spots where I can go back every year and start trying to um, go and kind of establish my own area and then like be able to take my kids and stuff too. So I want to do that. Um, but get Eric a moose hopefully this year, spend some time in the sheep country. And then I do also need to shoot a bull moose. I've been in Alaska. Well, I've been in Fairbanks now since 2016 and I still haven't shot a bull moose. So I really probably should get that done. (laughs) Well, maybe you can drop two on that hunt then. That's that's my, that's that's my hope, right? That's the, that's the goal. Don't don't do it at the same time. Not not at the (laughs) same time. We'll do them two days apart. Yeah. Minimum two days apart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> or I'll shoot mine here in the FMA and just with my bow and then I'll have my yeah. bowl and then I'll be happy and then we'll do a big trip for him. There yeah. you go. And then we'll separate him <laughs> by like make a sure week. They're close <laughs> to the airstrip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Well, hey, we really appreciate you coming on to share your story. Um, for anybody listening, if they want to uh, check you out on like Instagram or something like that. You want to drop your, yeah, your handle? Um, I do have, it's Thunderknocked um, is the name of my um, Instagram. And then I don't really do much on there. I've actually kind of recently just started putting a little bit on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what my actual name is on there. I don't, I think it's just, I've always just seen Thunderknocked yeah, come up. So it's so. just, it's Thunderknocked. Um, and there's a picture of a dude uh, wearing, uh, with uh, a beard with a sheep. So that's, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be there for a long time. All right. um, until, until the next one. Until, until the next until one. Until the yeah. big moose. And then, yeah. yeah, yeah either yeah. a record moose or, a, or, a, we'll see, or another sheep. We'll, so. we'll see how many tags you pull this, this, this February. There you so. go. Yeah. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta put in, we need to put up, uh, set up a night and have you guys all put in your draws yet? I haven't yet. Yeah. yeah. No, not we yet. Should, I'm, I'm still researching. So do a, a draw party. There we go. We don't have <laughs> time for that. <laughs> I tried oh, to orchestrate it yeah. last yeah. week, and I just was, I wouldn't have. Time. I had something Man. come up, and it just no. wasn't going to work. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll do it on my own. I was just going to steal some of your guys' ideas anyway. You know what? I, I have <laughs> right, a plan. Right. How about you party apply with me for a few things, and that way I can guarantee you go. won't get anything. Okay, because <laughs> they're or, not going to pick it if it's my name. We'll put my name first, and then you can go under there, there you go. There you <laughs> then go. they're going to be like, wait, well, how did Dalton get drawn this year? What happened? He broke the system. <laughs> Call the FBI. Dalton got a tag. <laughs> right. We got to get this guy out of there. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And uh, I keep doing what you guys are doing. I'm excited. My kids were super excited. They're like, do we get to listen to all the podcasts now? I was like, well, yeah, I told you guys you could listen to this one anyway. And they were like, great. We're going to start with yours and then from the beginning. I was like, <laughs> sure, go for it. So, That's a lot of hours. So they're going to be is, they're yeah. gonna be very busy. <laughs> so, no, keep doing this. This is awesome. And I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. All yeah, right, folks. Well, on. thank you for listening to this uh, longer episode. We, we haven't done one this long in quite a while. So yeah. um, again, thank you for that, Tyrell. Uh, <laughs> oh, shoot, sorry, the, uh, guys. <laughs> I talk a lot. But if you, uh, if you have any comments or questions about anything we talked about in this episode today, feel free to reach out to either the contact button on our website if you go to thenorthernhunter.com or either one of our socials. If you search at The Northern Hunter on Facebook and Instagram, you'll find us there. Um, again, if you want to support us, easiest way is to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Leave a written review and a rating. Five stars is always best. Uh, it's the best way to get us in front of more, more listeners outside of just sharing it with your friends if you think they would be interested in the conversations we have here. Uh, if you want to help us make more content, then if you would be so kind as to go over to the shop and grab up some merch, uh, we got hats, hoodies, t-shirts, and uh, if you shop from any one of our sponsors and partners, that's in our partners page on the website, uh, those links and discount codes are there and in the show notes for this platform. Uh, if you use those codes, you'll get a discount and uh, helps those companies out, helps us, and they've all, they all make really great stuff for getting out in the woods and, yeah. and being more successful. So we appreciate anybody that supports what we're doing. Um, and uh, one more time, just thank you for uh, sitting down for north of three hours with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, part I'm of your Saturday, everybody. So. No, thanks. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, until next week, get out there, get after it, and good luck. We'll see you there.
All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to stealthyhunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.